as you may well know, Scream is currently enjoying a successful run in movie theaters at this very moment, so it's a wonderful time to revisit the masterful scores from the horror franchise's first four films with the Scream original motion picture soundtracks box set. Available on four LPs or six CDs, each collection is housed in a unique jacket, which folds out into a ghost-faced mask. I don't know why I said mask that way. <laughs> what was that? Leave I that don't in. know. <laughs> Speaking of the new film, the brand new score can also be ordered today on vinyl, in a reflective mirrorboard jacket, or on CD or digital formats. Own the original musical legacy of Scream. Visit your favorite retailer or shop the label store directly. VerezSaraband.com. That's V-A-R-E-S-E-S-A-R-A-B-A-N-D-E.com, where KingCast listeners can save 20% off for a limited time with the code SCREAM20 at checkout. That's right, Eric. And I'm here, as always, to tell you about our benevolent overlords at Fangoria. It's been over 40 years, and Fangoria magazine is better than ever. Each issue bringing you 100 pages of exclusive, carefully curated, only occasionally erotic content honoring horror's past, present, and future. These articles and interviews will never be published online, so the only way to read them is by getting your hands on a physical, collectible copy of your own. We can't give anything away because we want the experience to be a surprise, but we can safely say that you do not want to miss a single page, Head on over to Fangoria.com to learn more and to, you know, subscribe. And while you're there, make sure to enter the promo code KINGCAST to save 25% off your yearly subscription. Now on with the show. Hi. My name is Stephen King. Hello and welcome back to the KingCast on the Fangoria Podcast Network. My name's Scott Wampler. And I'm Eric Vespi. And we are your hosts. Uh, we are very excited to be speaking with today's guests. And if um, I might add, I am personally excited to be talking to this guest mere minutes after watching the title uh, he chose to discuss today. Got that in right under the wire. Uh, he has an interesting list of credits, including work on Family Guy, did some writing on Border Town, wrote the script for 2020's truly outstanding body switch horror comedy Freaky. And next up, he's written the screenplay for Hannah McPherson's Time Cut which we're hoping arrives sooner rather than later. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the KingCast stage, Mr. Michael Kennedy. Michael, how are you doing today? Good, guys. Thanks for thanks for having me on the show. This is crazy. Of course. <laughs> uh, I, I only recently followed you on Twitter. We have a lot of the same mutual friends. We do. But uh, you have been a wonderful addition to my family. Oh, great. So have Very you. sassy, I have to yeah, say. Yeah, I'm a little <laughs> sassy, yeah. Not but afraid yeah. to throw some punches. From time to time. <laughs> I get to watch myself, I think. I do well, a lot of tweeting and deleting. Yeah. <laughs> I do a lot of that. Get it out of the get it out of the get it out of the headspace. They're not deleted paper, tweets. They are timed exclusives. That's how <laughs> I, I I think about it. That's a good way to put it. You are uh, an outspoken Twitterer, and I appreciate that. Uh I I don't know how good that is for anyone in the industry's career. Uh, even even people <laughs> at our level, uh, but but I do think that um, it's important to see people who are getting work also speaking truth to power, and uh, I, I feel like you're you're pretty good about that. So um, so kudos kudos well, on your work you. on social media. 
and uh, <laughs> and and also freaky, which I fucking loved. If any of our listeners have not seen that, please seek out freaky. Great to hear. Yeah, it's um, a fun movie. It's fun. Tell us fun stuff about freaky immediately. Uh, I mean, it was just a joy. The whole process was pretty fucking awesome, and it's something that'll never. I think it's pretty rare how it came together. Mm-hmm. Um, I was gonna like pitch it to Blum, Blumhouse. Uh, solo and you know I had been working on it for a long time I, I I got the idea like soon after my father died so if you want like a bummer start to this story <laughs> hell yeah my my dad had died and I was you know kind of in the early stages of grief mm-hmm. and I was actually watching happy death day and was watching tree kind of navigate like the idea that like her mom passed away but she was getting to talk to her, you know, mm-hmm. kind of reliving her grief, figuring out her grief with her mom's death through the through the Groundhog Day of it all. Mm-hmm. And uh, I started crying and it was like a couple months after my dad died. So I, I think I was finally it was finally sinking in in that moment, weirdly. Right. And I started crying really hard and it felt really cathartic. So my first thought was and I didn't know Chris Nannan at the time. So my first thought was, I knew who he was, though, looked up to him a lot. So I was like, I wonder if Chris like channeled some of his the grief with his dad and stuff into this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, I should do that. And then my immediately, my immediate next <laughs> thought was, okay, let's do it by ripping off Happy Death Day. <laughs> <laughs> so I legit like went online, like that moment, went on the internet, Googled like classic, com- literally the words classic comedies. It just was like scrolling being like, how, what one of these can I turn into a slasher? And yeah, it's not crazy. And like nothing was, nothing was working for me. Brilliant research of the google.com was not coming into my favor. So how do I make then, blazing saddles a horror movie? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but then it like hit me in the middle of the night. I was laying in bed and I was like, Oh shit, body swap freaky Friday. And then mm-hmm. like literally two o'clock in the morning, I emailed myself. The title, which at the time was Killer Body, and then um, like five or six sentences, which ended up carrying over into the entire movie, which was teenage girl named Millie, uh, body swaps a serial killer, dad is dead. It was like all these like little bullet points to myself. Mm-hmm. Right. Dola is the name of the knife. Like I even just came up with the name of the knife out of nowhere. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's kind of like the genesis of it. And then I was, you know, I ended up writing a pilot for the CW um a little bit later that year so i kind of had to put it away for like six months because the tv network pilot process takes forever Mm -hmm. and uh when they decided not to shoot the pilot i went back to killer body and started just fleshing it out and ended up writing like a a pitch and was going to pitch it to turek at blumhouse ryan turek at blumhouse and i just happened to be having lunch with chris that week and was telling him about it and he Chris Landon is so great. He um, volunteered to help me get the pitch ready. Chris, who directed Happy Death Day. Chris, who directed Happy Death Day. Yes. Yep. Yeah. So by this time, I had become friends with Landon a couple Mm -hmm. years later. And so he's like, "Uh, uh, let's meet meet again tomorrow. Just practice your pitch on me and I'll kind of like guide you on what what Blumhouse is going to want to hear. You know, I've worked with them forever. They're going to, they have a very, you know, I know what they want, essentially. So we end up getting together the next day and, he was funny. He's like, first of all, 
I'm not going to listen to you pitch. We're friends. This is weird. Just give me your pitch. So, <laughs> so he like sat on a couch while I like played on my computer for like 15 minutes and he just read it in front of me. Mm-hmm. And uh, he started laughing quite a bit and then he started pacing and I could tell he was like his mind was brewing. Mm-hmm. So Gears are turning. Yeah. yeah, and he started pitching me all these really amazing things. He's like, let's maybe focus a little less on the family and let's bring Nyla and Josh to the forefront. And he kept saying, like, we. And mm-hmm. I finally just was like, in my head, I'm like, you know what? Just fucking do it. So I just turned to him and I said, do you want to do this with me? And he's like, yeah, I actually do. Hmm. Um, That's fucking awesome. Yeah, so he's like, let me uh, let me talk to my manager. I'm supposed to be doing a movie this year. He goes, so I need to, like, figure some shit out. Um and then he texts me. He called me at like 5 p.m. that night. He goes, what do you think? I was like, let's do it. He goes, all right, we start tomorrow, bitch. <laughs> 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 so I woke up to, at 7.30 in the morning from Landon. And it just was like, I think his text was something like, cock doodle doo bitch, let's get going. <laughs> uh, and awesome. we started literally the next day. Well, so so much of that movie like kind of hinges on you casting the the killer. And I think that that like uh, obviously the the concept and the writing is solid but it's like i i think you need that little magic oh you yeah know, a combo of of the killer and, and the girl and i mean you guys just hit a home run with with vince vaughn and his willingness yeah. to not only to 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 you know kind of play the the teenage girl of it all but just seeing the the visual of this giant hulking massive right. guy you know, <laughs> doing it. it it wouldn't it wouldn't have worked so well if it was like Edward Norton being, you know, creepy, like no. he, he could have made it scarier, but it's like it, he wouldn't, it wouldn't have had the same effect. He wouldn't have uh, sold yeah. the comedy of it, you know, oh, and for Vince sure. Ron can yeah, fucking yeah. do that. Well, I think, any, I think most other actors would have, would have gone and started doing like, uh, like a horrible mimic of what they think a teenage girl is. Right. Sure. You know what I mean? And like Vince Vaughn, who's known for his, loud exuberant style comedy he really underplayed it which was like so much to our advantage because he really got in the headspace of a teenager (laughs) and really wanted to do it authentically and not be like mincing around and like inflecting his voice higher and stuff he really him and Catherine really worked together he he listened to a lot of bts (laughs) a lot of it is just in the way he his cadence yes you know and he can he can turn like he seems able to just like flip that switch and like, you know, alter the completely alter the cadence of whatever he's saying. And he nailed the teenage girl sort of, uh, yeah, feel yeah, really without good. lapsing into like a, <laughs> you know, a flu- a high fluting voice or something. Yeah. Or like parody of it. Yeah. And, yeah. Cause we wrote it for him and Catherine. In oh, really? Mind. Yeah. And, uh, as Chris always says, he goes, I thought I'd be lucky if I got one of them and thought I'd get neither of them. And we ended up getting both of them, which is nuts. <laughs> Backup plan for if said no. We did it. We had like actor. We had like a list and stuff. Like we had some ideas. and Dwayne The Rock Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> no, we did have Batista. Hmm. We thought about Dave Batista. And we thought about like somebody like Jeffrey Dean Morgan. We wanted somebody with like a really huge frame. Yeah, because we wanted to play with like the just the Jason Voorhees of it all, but also just right. like, the huge like just body difference. It, it wouldn't have worked mm-hmm. if you cast like five foot eight Zach Efron. You right. know what I mean? Like you needed totally. a huge hulking person to like get them to play 
you know, and Catherine just has this intensity in her eyes that we really loved regardless. Like she's so talented, but even just the intensity in her eyes right. when she's on big little lies, she's got those big, like beautiful alien looking eyes that are just <laughs> so big. They're expressive, you know, right. The Elijah Wood special. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Or like the Anya Taylor joy. Oh my God. Yeah. I look, you know, and it, we just knew we wanted her and Chris had worked with her on paranormal four. Right. And was just like, she's, she's easy to work with too. And a good, <laughs> a good, good kid. And like very talented. So. Right. Batista, I think maybe could have done it. He's, I, I, I think very much of him as an actor. I think he's actually, you know, kind of, everyone loves Dave Batista, but I think he's doing really interesting shit. And yeah, I think he could have been know, great. Yeah. I, I want to scare him at a luncheon. Uh, you did. <laughs> well, startled is probably the better word. I'm, you know, I, I'm certainly not intimidating to Dave Batista, but it was at, we were at CinemaCon one year and uh, I don't know if you've ever been, but it's this, you know, it's like Comic-Con, but for theater owners, they do it in Vegas oh, okay. and uh, every studio has like a two or three hour presentation where they'll bring out all the stars of, you know, all the fucking movies they're making in the coming year. To mm-hmm. sort of promo the product and get the theater owners all horny in their seats. And then the press is up like in a, you know, the the balcony sort of watching all this. And then they do these luncheons. One of the luncheons was thrown by, uh, I think it, I think it was Lionsgate. I'm not sure, but they did one every year at this same place. This like you know, ritzy little yeah. like bar slash dining thing that was hidden by an elevator somewhere in the building. And, uh, they parade in like half a dozen other stars and they're like in there just kind of milling around eating shrimp kebabs and everyone's having drinks. It's that kind of, that kind of atmosphere. But Dave Batista was in there and he was sitting at a table with, uh, he had done that movie with a little girl, I think. And sitting there with with her and like her mom. And there was someone from some studio rep there or something. And, uh, my associates and I had already gotten into an encounter with Pitbull at this same, uh, (laughs) Which is like a whole other fucking story. Um, you know, I was I was three drinks in probably at that point and feeling after the encounter with Pitbull, I was like, I'll fucking talk to anybody in here. And when I saw Dave Batista, I was like, I'm going to go tell him I think he fucking rules. And uh, I march over to fucking Dave Batista's table and like tapped him on the shoulder and he turns around and sees me. And I'm wearing a fucking backpack of all things because, you know, that's <laughs> what I was carrying all my shit around in. Uh, and I'm holding a screwdriver and I'm like, I'm like, you know what? You fucking kick ass. And he was just like, uh, you're blow OK. Me. And he's like, look, he's look. Yeah, he's looking at me like I'm about to like make a move. And uh, I kept talking for about 10 seconds before I was realized he was giving me that look. And then like very quickly homered into the bushes away from that conversation. <laughs> like, oh, uh, sorry to, sorry to disturb you, sir. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to leave now. And uh, sorry to look like a suicide bar. And hangover. Yeah. 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 Not, but, uh, uh, not my best first impression with Mr. Batista. Uh, the, the secret to, to Dave Batista though, is to talk about vintage lunch boxes. He collects vintage. Like what? Yeah, he collects like those old tin and like That's classic lunch boxes from like, the seventies and eighties. Yeah, it would have yeah, been a pretty baller move if I pulled a lunch box out of that backpack. Like he would have been like, "That's where the bomb is." Yeah, he, 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 <laughs> in my he Tron lunch box from nineteen eighty four. He he would have looked at it, then he would have asked you if it comes with the original thermos. 
<laughs> is the thermos packed with the dynamite or is that just loose in the box? Yeah. Do I get the lunchbox before you blow me up? <laughs> uh, before we move on, I, I want uh, your permission to share my Vince Vaughn story since, uh, since you're on the line. Of course. Um, for, I, I've met him a couple of times over the years just doing interview stuff. First time I met him was way back in like 2000, 2001. Uh, he came to Austin with Favreau when they showed Made. They did like a screening of Made at the uh, original Alamo Drafthouse downtown. And uh, Peter Billingsley was there who produced that. Now he's a uh, um, Favreau's producer for a lot of stuff. Not for everything now, I think. But uh, he helped produce everything like up to Iron Man. You know, he did Dinner for Five. He did all of Favreau's movies beforehand. He did Elf. Uh, but Peter Billingsley is also very famous as being Ralphie from A Christmas Story. And so I actually asked him like at the after party if I could interview him for uh, Ain't It Cool News uh, about, you know, him being a producer now and also about a Christmas story. And he was like, well, sure, why not? And I interviewed him the next morning after this party and they showed their movie for the first time. Everybody's getting shit faced. And I never really talked to Vince Vaughn at the party or anything. He was the famous one. So he was the one surrounded by everybody. And I didn't want to make that that effort, <laughs> you know, to wade through the people to shake his hand and be awkward. Um, I didn't have a lunchbox to show him, you know, so, <laughs> um, so I, uh, the next morning at the Four Seasons in the lobby of the Four Seasons, I'm interviewing Peter Billingsley and we're right in the middle of it and down saunters a very hungover Vince Vaughn. And I ha- I still probably have the tape somewhere. I have to dig it up, but he saunters <laughs> over and I don't think he realizes realized that we were doing an interview and he just, just thought he was some, you know, I was sitting, he was sitting, uh, Peter Billingsley was sitting there talking to people and, and so he comes comes over and he just starts like striking up a conversation with Billingsley and uh, and he was just like hey yeah, yeah no that's cool well, yeah we're, we're doing this interview and he goes okay cool he's like oh and he looks at me he goes you're local I said yeah he goes hey so where's all the the best Cinco de Mayo parties tonight <laughs> it, was, it was Cinco de Mayo he's like I want where can I get a margarita at 9 a.m. right now well that he was like yeah he's like you know where the best Cinco de Mayo like where the essentially where the girls at <laughs> and uh, yeah. and uh, and I thought that was funny, and so I left that in the uh, in the when I transcribed the interview, I left that interlude in the interview, and I heard back. I heard about a week later uh, from Favreau. I think he and Favreau directly reached out and was just like, "Hey, so you know that was a really great interview. Thanks for the promotion for the the movie. You know, because no, it was a small movie. Blah blah blah." It's like, by the way, Vince is uh, really fucking pissed off at you for putting that in the interview. <laughs> Oh, really? <laughs> he's like, yeah, yeah. Vince read it and he's really furious. And I'm just like, well, he said it and the tape recorder was rolling and he knew yeah. it was an interview at that point. You know, Uh-oh. that was happening. So I think I think what we're learning here today is that Vespi and I are to be trusted around. No, absolutely not. And- <laughs> no lunchboxes, no tape recorders. <laughs> All right. So let's yeah. get to the, the Stephen King stuff. Uh Michael, what is your Stephen King origin story? I tried to think about that, and I like was hazy, honestly, because I'm kind of a late like horror bloomer. I read uh, this about you. Yes, yeah. Scream like I, was the first. Scream was the very first horror movie I saw. I was 16, and like, <laughs> 16 is not that old, but mm-hmm. it is in starting your horror fandom. <laughs> but I was thinking about it, and I was like, maybe it was Carrie. Cause I definitely know Carrie was one of the, cause after I watched scream, I like did like, I was so obsessed with that movie. I went and started doing a deep dive on like every classic horror movie I can get my hands on. Mm-hmm. But this morning I was thinking about it again. And I actually had like, I 
remembered my Stephen King origin story. I'd completely like blocked it out of memory or something, but it was the stand miniseries. Oh, sure. That initially aired. I actually watched that whole thing looking back on it. So maybe scream isn't my first horror movie. If we call the stand miniseries a horror movie, but I don't know, maybe adjacent, but adjacent uh, for sure. Yeah. But this was definitely my Stephen King origin story because that was such a huge one. Was that like 91, 92, maybe even yeah. earlier? Yeah. That was a uh, appointment viewing at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and my entire family was watching it. Yeah. It would be my parents who don't watch like that 94 who don't watch that kind of stuff or didn't watch that kind of stuff. They're dead. Yeah. 91, 92 would have been it. You didn't watch it then. Didn't watch it. Um, How old are you? I'm I'm 41, so I was 14 when this. Oh, so you're on. you're basically our age. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so, so um, why not it? But you did watch because I remember that being the case with it. That that was like appointment viewing. That was a huge ordeal I, at the time. Like I was like, uh, we weren't allowed to watch a lot of stuff growing up. I grew up in a Catholic, pretty Catholic household. Ah, uh, there uh, it is. We weren't allowed to watch a lot of stuff. So I'm betting the stand was fine because there was no like. I don't know. It was killer clown. clown. Yeah, yeah. There's, like, there's no fucking yeah. killer clown with sharp teeth running around. Right. You know, post-apocalyptic is fine, but yeah, uh, post-apocalypse yeah. is fine, but a killer clown is not. Fair. Um, so yeah, the stand was my origin story with Stephen King, and I remember being enthralled by it, like mm-hmm. just being like, "This is tele, like this is on TV." I remember thinking that, like, "This is on television," and I also remember being like. Obsessed that Molly Ringwald was in it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Yeah, because um, she kind of felt like she kind of disappeared for for a little bit too. Just from movie geeks, I remember that being the case too. Where it was like, oh, you know, I'd known Sixteen Candles and Breakfast Club and stuff by the time I saw The Stand, but it was like, oh, where? Yeah, where has she been? It was like one of the first times I actually registered that like big people who were like giant actors could just like disappear for you know a few years, you know, and then then yeah. come back on. Yeah, the, yeah, the Jennifer like- Lawrence effect. Yeah, they kind of go away and then just be like, I'm back. But then it like didn't stick, right? Like she kind of didn't stick around much after that. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think so. She's probably killing herself for turning down the role of Sydney Prescott in Scream. Mm -hmm. Uh, Did she? Yeah, she did. She. I didn't uh, know that. They actually offered it to her after Barrymore decided to play Casey. Mm -hmm. Um. They like straight up offered it to her. She turned it down because she said she was too old to be playing a high school kid. That's fair. I was just thinking like she was like she might have been a little old at that point, but yeah, I think she was. How old was she at that? She was almost. She was twenty seven, twenty eight, right? Um, when that was happening, but I wonder if she's like, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe I should just go along with it. It also wouldn't be the same. But also, just maybe she's not. You know, who knows. Yeah, I can't yeah, see into like, Molly Ringwald's mind as much as I want to. <laughs> but yeah, so that was my origin story. And then I really, really, really identified as a teenager with Carrie. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, you know, that was that was like obsessive watching. That was one I watched over and over and over again and still do. Um, sure. How, about, how such- about reading the books? You've, have you read any of the books? Uh, Carrie, I really love, I just really love the book Carrie and the movie Carrie because they're so different. Mm-hmm. I like love just the template of both are just so drastically different. So it's almost, you know, it's like reading the same story in two different, like reading and viewing the same story in two different sure. ways. Which oh, yeah. makes it so fresh and exciting to me every time I like 
if I do like a flip flop effect where I'll read it and then watch it or watch it and then read it. I think that's really cool. Uh, it, I reread it when it chapter two was coming out. I think my favorite Stephen King book um, is less horror is 112263. Mm. I really love yes. that book. It's really, 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 really well written. That one. Really well written. It's really exciting. I love that he tends to like not have a happy ending. <laughs> right, <laughs> yes. The ending of that is just so awful. <laughs> but also, like, I grew up in a household too where my dad was obsessed with uh, World War II mm-hmm. and the effects of World War II on America and like JFK. Um, right. So I watched a lot of JFK stuff, uh, and it, not because my last name's Kennedy and my dad actually hated JFK. Um, <laughs> Really? So, your dad was a Catholic named Kennedy and he hated JFK. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? He like, huh. I think he voted for JFK. Cause actually, I'm no. pretty sure that's a mortal sin. Right. <laughs> I can't remember if he, he definitely didn't vote the first time cause he wasn't old enough. And I can't remember if he said he voted for JFK or no, cause JFK didn't get a second term. Duh. So he definitely. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, de- it, it depends which uh, QAnon conspiracy you listen to. <laughs> but he's he too young about for JFK. But I know my dad was like grew up in a liberal family, and then he read some stupid ass book when he was like in his twenties that made him like flip parties, hmm. and it was like a life changing book. Yeah. So your dad was a Nixon guy. He was. Yeah. And, wow. Uh, yeah. So my talk about backing the wrong horse. <laughs> Big Reagan guy. Him and my mom were huge Reagan fans. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Nancy was just such a delicate little flower. Uh, <laughs> yeah, she was. You know, uh, yeah. As we <laughs> recently learned. Yeah. Maybe Hoover, not so much. Miss Hoover. Um, <laughs> so I'm like kind of a. I'm like a black sheep in my family in a lot of ways. Not only am I the only queer person, but I'm like the only liberal. And I'm a, I wouldn't even call myself liberal. I'm like way left of that. You know, and I mean? making slasher movies. And making slasher movies. Yeah. My mom actually, though, before she died, was like so proud that I was playing in a field that I like loved for so yeah. long that they didn't initially understand and didn't really love that I was so obsessed with them, you know, but then I think they realized like as parents tend to do when they see you kind of in action that it, like, it's more than just a job. It's like love and you actually like, it's really life changing mm-hmm. and there's a lot of positive aspects to it. Right. Um, and if you can get paid to do it, shut the fuck that, up. That was the other thing. When I started <laughs> getting paid to do it, my mom was suddenly the biggest slasher fan in the world. Uh, <laughs> But the have you heard the, about Freddy? Do you know that Jason Voorhees? <laughs> um, you should make a Jason. <laughs> she used to say shit like that. Actually, <laughs> yeah. you ever thought about just making a Friday the Thirteenth? Well, yeah, Mom. Do you know how I can get those rights? Yeah. My, uh, my dad does that sometimes yeah. too, where he'll be like, "Hey, Tiger, I was thinking, you know, uh, have you ever thought about having Stephen King on the show?" And I'm like. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we no, thought yeah. about it. Are you we fucking never thought about it? Yeah. <laughs> this is an aside, but my like one of the last times I saw my in-laws, uh, my my wife's dad was he was very confused. I'll say this up front because this is absolutely not true. But he was saying that like 
essentially you could rent Stephen King to do cameos. Like he didn't know what a cameo was, but what he was describing was definitely a cameo. Mm-hmm. And then like the, the, the app cameo. Yes. Yes. Okay. And that like, what if, you know, he was like thinking he, he was saying like, so I thought it might be a good gift for you guys. You know, whatever he's charging for a cameo, I'll pay it for an hour. You get him on the show. And I'm like, there's uh, uh, like my brain is malfunctioning, you know, as I'm hearing this. And I was like, first of all, this is a very lovely thought that you would think to do that and be willing to do that because it would be astronomically expensive. Oh, yeah. Um, Secondly, there's there's no way that's ever happening because that's not true. Like there's like Stephen (laughs) King, of all people, is not doing cameos like and, uh, and then I had to explain what a cameo was and it like the whole conversation fell apart from there on out. But uh, yeah, I love your dad's idea of tricking Stephen King to be on the show. <laughs> he's just he's just gonna buy like thirty two minute spot, two minute cameos from him in a row. Each one will be a different question. It's gonna cost me thirty thousand dollars to do this, but you are the husband to my daughter, and it makes sense. And Stephen King's got plenty of time. What is he doing? Writing a book. Yeah, it's yeah. Uh, again, a lovely thought, but um, yeah. in no way God possible. <laughs> it's funny, though, how parents like react to, you know, the careers of their kids and are trying trying to be helpful with ideas while really not not sticking with anything at all. Oh, yeah. One Christmas I was home visiting family and I was staying at my mom's and I had time cut pages due like literally right after the new year. So I had to work while I was home. And I was like having a really hard time doing, you know, I have a huge family and just felt like a lot of response, feel like a lot of responsibility when I'm home. So I was trying to fit in pages when I could. And finally, one day I was like, I literally have to go sit somewhere for like nine hours, like no (laughs) phone off, head down. So I go and do that. And like, I couldn't get my shit together. I was just really struggling to write pages and stuff. And I think I ended up writing like five, six pages, which is actually a pretty decent day. Yeah. Hell yeah. And uh, I go home and my mom's like, how did it go? And I was like, I only wrote, I said it's something like I, I wrote six pages. She goes, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, bitch, give it a try. Yeah, How many like, screenplays did you write today? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, I just love that she decided that six pages was not a lot. <laughs> you could have been here in the living room yelling at the news with the rest of us, but no, yeah. you had oh to God. write six pages, six whole pages. It's like I was being taunted by a studio exec. <laughs> <laughs> when I first got in touch with you about doing the show, um, we kicked around a couple of titles, one of which we're, we're we've we've got someone on the line for that's. I think going to take a similar approach. So we decided to go with the other, you had two options and we went with option number two, mm-hmm. which was the rage Carrie two, directed <laughs> yes. by Kat Shea. Um, right. This is a movie that uh, I had not seen until this morning. And uh, we, we did an episode with, I believe it was Katie Walsh, a bonus episode where she just talked about all the carries. Right. You know, oh, walked us fun. through the ridiculous think, amount of carry movies that, that exist. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was called Katie Walsh versus the carries. Oh and, my God, that's um, funny. and, uh, I hadn't seen any of them. I've only seen the original 
And so I was fascinated by everything that was said on that <laughs> episode, um, but also had no context for it. This mm. this finally forced me to buckle down and watch mm. the Rage Carry Two. And, I remember uh, when I remember when we did that, and as Katie and I were talking about specific things that happened in the Rage Carry Two, like Scott would like literally, we would talk about something and we would move past it, and suddenly go, wait, wait a minute, there's a a, a spear gun. Yeah, I got yeah. real hung up on the spear guns. Yeah, and like, I was like, is it a fishing up, like, village? Like, is the dad a fucking, yeah. <laughs> like, does he have a schooner? Like, why does he have, you know, I was, I still have no answers to that question, having seen the movie. Um, <laughs> but it was, but yeah. it was great. It was hilarious as somebody, because I saw the movie when it came out, you know, and, and it, you know, it's like, it's kind of existed for me. I've, I've never really liked this movie, but it's always existed for me. And it wasn't until rewatching it. Do you, do you really it, rewatching it today, you know, in modern times, do you really just kind of see what a weird, bizarre time capsule mm-hmm. uh, that movie is in, in so many ways and like structure and clothing and hairstyle yeah. and, and you tone and just kind of what the studio system, this is like at the height of that, like dimension era, like feeling totally, of, totally, you know, uh, of that. That, you know, I didn't like it much watching it at the time. Uh, and now I still don't really like the movie, but it is a fascinating time capsule for, for that period of, of uh, late 90s horror. I yeah, totally it's agree. Super, it's like very peak late 90s in, like every, in <laughs> every sense of the word. Yeah, it is an extreme uh, an aggressively late 90s movie. Um, <laughs> yeah, does not let you forget that if you showed it to me out of context, I would be like, this was made in 1999. Without looking it up, like you can, you can tell like out of like ten, any ten seconds of the movie, you'd be able to tell that. And yeah, uh, like the new Carrie works at a uh, like what was it? It was like a drive-through film. It was like a photo drive-through yeah. photo, yeah. Mat. yeah, and shit like that. It's like which was the last period of time where those existed, you know? Only those because I think hot topics didn't exist. Right, <laughs> right. She, she yeah. totally would have been a hot topic. I rem- remember uh, that was my when that movie came out. I think I was like a freshman in college, uh-huh. and uh, I remember um, thinking it was so cool. She worked there um, at like a photo place by <laughs> herself in the middle of Why? a kiosk. I don't know. <laughs> like I had no idea. Like I think it's. I had a friend who like walked around like with the modern equivalent of a iPhone. She had a fucking jazz camera with her wherever <laughs> we go. Do you remember those disposable jazz cameras? And I don't remember jazz taking... cameras, but I, I do remember the disposable ones. Oh, yeah. yeah. Jazz was just a brand, and we always just made fun of her because she always bought the jazz for some reason. I don't know if maybe <laughs> it was like an Ohio thing. Uh, but she always had these pictures and stuff, so I just thought it was like super cool that we had these like time capsules of everything. So I guess I thought that's why it was cool Rachel worked at a photo map. Fair enough. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> I remember getting a fair number of uh, disposable cameras developed during that time. You know, yep. yeah. before, you know, we, we just had cameras on us at all right. times. Yeah. yeah. For, know, for the so. use, the, these are like little things. I remember they came in like these foil packs yep. that you'd have to pop open. And it was just a camera with everything kind of built in a flash, uh, a lens. And you, it wasn't like a film camera where you take the photos and then you pop the roll out and develop the roll which I think kids today might still understand just, you know, based on like kind of a niche, like vinyls, you know, cool (laughs) collection thing. But this is absolutely not. This is like 10 bucks and you buy this thing 
and it has like 20 shots on it, 20, 24 shots. Yep. You shoot, you shoot it. And then you just take that entire camera and you dump it in an envelope and drop it off. And then you get yep. pictures back. That was what these things were. And yeah, a stranger like, just sees all your photos. Yep. That's the part I can't get over. Uh-huh. You know how many yep. incriminating photos I fucking ran through like the local Walgreens? <laughs> <laughs> They could have fucking put me in prison at that age. Dude, yeah, like, there's some like nasty shit that I'm sure they've seen. You know, like oh, could I mean, could you imagine? Like every cheating husband in the world at that time was turning in like fucking lewds and shit to some some guy like making seven fifty an hour. Fucking, you know, <laughs> don't let my wife see these. Who's these definitely clothes. not making doubles of those photographs and building a fucking wall somewhere in his house. <laughs> No, there's a, I actually literally, you know how there's a, like those TikTok trends or whatever, where they'll be like, tell, tell me the most creepy thing you've ever seen or whatever. And then they'll like, there'll be a creepy story. And I just saw one, no shit, like last night about one that was uh, about how when they were in college, they worked at a photo development place and the boss uh, their boss like showed them a binder that he'd made that was just all the nude photos uh, that oh he, he, he had developed. And every time he came across a nude, he would, uh, like Scott said, he would print a double and like build this binder. And he was like, yeah. So at the time I thought that was hilarious. And now I, uh, I don't think that's so funny. But you know, as a dumb college I would kid, be I'm like, more surprised funny. if that wasn't going on at every <laughs> right? single possible location that it could go on. I, I mean, mean, I'm sure it was happening all the time as this movie actually talks about and shows like mm-hmm. this kind of behavior was like just normal. We had friends over for dinner this past weekend. And do I need to tell everybody that we were boosted and vaccinated so I don't get yelled at? Um, no, it's fine. But, I think that's the uh, assumption. If you're, if you yeah. come on, say I'm, I'm to the left of liberal. <laughs> I think, yeah, sure. I think s- technically I still have COVID, so uh, I'm in no. Oh, that's right. How are you shit. feeling? I'm fine. Okay, good. Yeah. Um, I'm here. We were watching it's a hoax. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Joe Rogan was right. Well, I can see through time now, but beyond oh, that, that's it's, great. It's totally normal. Tell me He's going to go back and try to stop the Kennedy assassination now. <laughs> Um, but we were watching, uh, we had Sleepaway Camp 2 on in the background because it's a very great dinner party um, atmosphere. Sure. And, uh, there's like a whole sequence where like there's just two kids walking around taking pictures of the girls in their cabins when they're naked. And they're just like, <laughs> we're young whippersnappers, you know, like there's yeah. just no. They're like horny, so it's up. okay. Yeah, that's like <laughs> literally what it is. And it's just like, <laughs> all right. <laughs> Um, for anyone that hasn't seen Carrie 2, Michael, would you, you be willing to recount succinctly, you know, don't feel obligated to give us a play by play of the entire movie. But what is what is this movie about? What is the what is this version of Carrie about? OK, so this version of Carrie is about a young girl named Rachel, who um, whose name is not is a, Carrie. Right. Mm-hmm. Her name is not Carrie. Her mom is a religious <laughs> zealot. And when she's like seven years old, her mom is like painting her house red for some reason to keep the (laughs) devil out of her daughter. And because of this, her mom gets institutionalized. So Rachel ends up living with a foster family cuts to 10 years later. Of course, the foster family is just trash and not very good to (laughs) her and her dog. And she only has one friend and her and her friend Lisa are like blood. What is, what do they say? Like blood oath or they like, they're like best friends, but they're, I didn't have subtitles on it. It sounded like blood is blood or something like that. Yeah. Something like that. But they're like best friends and 
Um, they're also school outcasts because they wear their shirts off their shoulders for, or something. I'm not even sure why they're <laughs> school outcasts, but they're like the quote unquote goth kids. But Lisa, her best friend, reveals to her that over the weekend she lost her virginity and is going to have lunch with that guy at school today. And the, she'll get to Rachel will get to see who the guy is that she is dating now. Well, it turns out it's like one of the football jocks. And his friends have a uh, little club going on where they rate girls and give each other points if they fuck them or get blowjobs and stuff. It's kind of based on the Spur Posse from the mid-90s here in California. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that. Wait, what's the Uh, Spur Posse? So the Spur Posse was actually a real thing. It was at Lakewood High School here in California. In 1993, eight kids got arrested because they were literally doing what is happening in Carrie 2, which is they, theirs was a little different. They were get they got a point for every orgasm they achieved with a girl. And they that were like they achieved. That they achieved. It didn't matter with the girl <laughs> or anything, but it was like right. so it's extra bad. Yeah. So it was like eight or nine dudes. They were keeping track. They were keeping points. They were doing whatever they can. Some of them were doing it with the girls as young as 10. What? Um, there was some Ten. statutory rape. There was con- uh, accused rape. There was instances where like a girl had sex with a guy. And then he's like, now you have to have sex with all my friends. And she consented, but she was like 14 and also thought it was like what she had to do to be cool. So it was like a lot of manipulation and that kind of stuff. The outrage ended up happening though. is only one of these kids got charged with anything. Christ. Because it was a bunch of football players, and it had been going on for years to the point where the guy that started it was now twenty when it all broke, and it was like you know pillars of the community's kids. So like nothing really happened to any of them, but it was called the Spur Posse because they liked the fucking San Antonio Spurs. <laughs> what? So the guy the that created it called like coined them the Spur Posse. So like that is where the movie Genesis actually started from. Weirdly enough, it was going to be a movie about that. And then the original director left. And as when scream hit, cause they were going to film it at 96 when scream hit, they decided, Oh, we own Carrie. How do we make this a Carrie sequel? So they added telekinesis and they added Sue Snell. Right. Like, like what <laughs> they yeah. did with Die Hard 3. Like Die Hard 3 was Simon Says. It started right. off as a script called Simon Says and turned into, they just, you know, transmogrified fucking, you know, John McClane onto it and turned it into a diehard sequel. Always successful, right? Um. <laughs> that seems in poor taste, I will say. But, you know, go off, Kings. Yeah. It, just, yeah, it, it doesn't tend to work out too well for Stephen King properties, though, because that's exactly right. what happened with Lawnmower Man. That that was uh, a wholly other thing that they're just like, well, let's slap Stephen King's The Lawnmower Man onto it and add in one scene from the short story, Jesus and, Christ. Uh, it, you know, make it a completely <laughs> different thing. Um, but yeah, no, I mean with, with the rage carry too, they make a, a big detour about halfway through the movie where she finds out that Carrie's dad was her dad. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so that, that, that is the thing. She is Carrie's half sister <laughs> and yeah. that's why she, uh, has uh, psychic powers that makes, uh, thorn tattoos grow around her and she can cause uh, CDs to, uh, fly in, and fly through midair. Yeah. Yeah. But so she, her friend, Lisa, the guy that she's dating is the dude from home improvement, which is hilarious to me. Yeah. The older, um, the older brother. Yeah. The older brother. And, uh, 
he actually really likes her, but then the football players call her Coyote Ugly, <laughs> oh, no. um, which is when you fall asleep with a girl on your arm, you know, you'd rather gnaw your arm off than wake her up. Um, <laughs> so he has like second thoughts. He breaks up with her. So of course, you know, in very, I can't live without a man movie fashion, she decides that it, life is not worth living. So she kills herself. And then Rachel's kind of determined to figure out why she killed herself. She, you know, essentially traces it back to these guys and then meanwhile, she starts falling in love with one of them to kind of go against her instincts, who ends up being like the nice guy, Jason London, who's mm-hmm. on the football team. And, you know, she starts dating him and seems to, you know, life seems to be getting a little bit better post her friend dying. And then she starts getting befriended by the popular girls, which all leads to a post football party where she actually isn't friends with the popular kids. It was a ruse to get her there to embarrass her as part of their little game, which they videotaped her having sex. They convince her that Jesse, her boyfriend was part of this. So she goes bug fuck nuts, Carrie style and telekinesis all the people to death. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, Sue Snell from the original movie is the guidance counselor trying to help Rachel figure out a way to control it, including even bringing her to some reason, the high school that is half, of a shell and a half standing from 23 years earlier that Gary <laughs> burned down. Um, yeah, I had questions and, about that. Yeah, and then, you know, finds out that Rachel and Carrie are half-sisters, as you said, and then, you know, Rachel kills all the bad kids and then realizes Jesse wasn't lying because on the videotape she hears him say he loves her, so she lets him live and essentially kills herself. Yeah. And it's poor Susan a, some, somehow gets uh, stabbed through a door. Oh, by accident. Why do, they have to do that? Yeah. why do they have to kill Snow? Sue. Yeah. That bums me out. They brought does. Amy Irving back. They yeah. Did. This is your most you know, iconic was... role, and you're gonna go out with a fireplace <laughs> poker that's through not only eye. gone through your head, but the another guy and a uh, door through a doorway. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> you know, I was thinking about that though, the fact that Sue Snell is in it. Uh, mm-hmm. I was watching it last night and I was like, could this be a legacy sequel? <laughs> yeah, it absolutely is. Because <laughs> they're so popular, you know, like, is this, because you keep talking, you know, people talk about these legacy sequels with the new Scream and, you know, Scream does, I think the new Scream does a really good job of talking about them in a really fun way. Right. But it's like people credit the newest Halloween, not Halloween Kills, but Halloween for being like the genesis of the horror legacy sequel. Mm-hmm. And then you remember Scream 4 did it in 2011. And then you're like, well, the Rage Carry 2 had Sue Snell in 99. And then you're like, well, Halloween H2O did the same thing right. in 1998. So it's like, he's like, I think it's because we didn't slap a term on it until, yeah. right. you know, Halloween. I don't yeah. think. Well, um, yeah. maybe they used it before then, but I don't think it became no. came into well, popular use until then. But yeah, I mean, I think the legacy sequel kind of became a thing around non-horror, though. That that, that term that came out of like Tron, like well, literally Tron Legacy and uh, um, fair, and fair. Uh, Force Awakens. Those were like the ones where it's like, yep, well, yeah. because a legacy sequel is very specific. I wouldn't count H two O as being a legacy sequel because Jamie Lee's the star of that. Thing. It's not about Josh Hartnett in that, true. you know, yeah, his friends true. in that. Just and a uh, sequel. legacy sequels, you know, is all about a new younger cast with the old guard, you know, kind of backing them up. That seems to be the formula for that. By that metric, the Rage Carry 2 absolutely qualifies. So, so because it is all about it, the younger cast doing their own thing and and the old guard from the 20 yeah. years before, you know, the uh, one doing remaining person. 
I, I'm wondering, <laughs> like, I'm trying to think, is there another horror franchise like that? And like, I, even looking at like, it, because I, I think of uh, like New Nightmare or something, but yeah, or Nightmare Three, Nightmare you know, Three, that. but but even that's just like a sequel where they, you know, it's like watching a James Bond, watching the the like end of the Connery era James Bonds, where they go Lazenby, then they go, no, never mind, we're bringing back, you know, Sean Connery. <laughs> the, um, and I would say that uh, Nancy and uh, Patricia Arquette kind of co-lead that movie anyway. That's true. You what know? about the new thing? With Mary Elizabeth Winstead. That's, Does that count? It's it's like filling in some gaps of what you... Is that a legacy prequel? It's a prequel, for sure. And, I mean, that that would count if, like, if it was a sequel and, and like, Kurt Russell, you know, they DH Kurt Russell and threw him in, in there somewhere, you know? Okay, I got you. <laughs> but, so, yeah. in order for it to be a legacy, it's yeah. got to have at least one of the original cast members especially yes. if they're iconic like iconic in that role yeah it's got to include a person from the original movie right yeah original it, set of movies halloween 2018 absolutely works force awakens absolutely works uh tron legacy absolutely works yeah so maybe even scream 4 doesn't work because that was still a sydney movie right mm. you know where we're scream scream 5 without going into spoilers that you know, it has a lot of the legacy characters in it, but very smartly, it's not focused on them at all. So, yeah. literally creates a new story. Yeah. Mm. So, um, I, I like Scream really, Five a lot. Yeah. I did too, and I really loved. I really did love it, and I felt like, um, you know, not. I'm not going to spoil it at all, but um, I could watch another Scream movie and none of the legacy members be involved. That's how much I like the new kids. Mm. Which is a, a good sign. I didn't love all the new kids, but the ones right. there's a right. couple that stick around that I absolutely loved and um, yeah. would be glad to watch them continue yeah. the story with or without yeah. anyone. This is an eggshell stepping situation because there yeah. there's a lot to dive in. I'd love to talk. Unfortunately, like all my my uh, friends that I usually bullshit about movies with are very. Uh, they're very, they're they're in like mini lockdown now. They're just waiting for Omicron to burn out before they they go out. So I can't discuss, can't discuss it. I can't discuss <laughs> discuss it with anybody. And uh, DM me. I'll discuss yeah. it with you all day long. I, I got I got some because I have one one major nitpick with with the movie, uh, and it all involves footage from Stab Eight. That's all I'll say. Okay. Um, and I think it undercuts the entire point that they're trying to make with it. But, uh, uh, but I'm dying to like dig into that with somebody. So <laughs> I'll be happy to be that person. Perfect. Yeah. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll slide into your DMS after we stop, stop recording. Perfect. Um, Speaking of cast members. Yes. I, I would like to take a moment to focus on the casting in this movie. Mm. There were some, <laughs> to put it lightly, there were some surprises uh, for all pop pop. On this one. <laughs> We've already talked about Amy Irving. I'm impressed they got Amy Irving back. I knew this in the back of my head, but then like to see her brought back out on stage, uh, basically the conversation that Eric and I had with Katie Walsh about the other carries happened so long ago. And I like retained so little of it because I hadn't actually seen the fucking things. <laughs> Anything that we discussed on that episode was basically it already left my mind. <laughs> you know, so I was like, I was telling Eric earlier today, like, you know, did you know the kid from fucking Home Improvement is in this? And he's like, <laughs> yes, we talked about it on the fucking show. And like, <laughs> I don't fucking remember it. But it, I don't remember what I had for dinner last night. Much less Sorry, I don't remember conversation I had in like January of 2021. <laughs> Come on. 
Yeah, just once again, you have to be very clear that we're talking about Zachary Ty Bryan, not our beloved uh, JTT. Yeah, yes. So, yeah. Well, we'll get to him in a moment, but the uh, <laughs> but Amy Irving, like you know, that was that that almost worked as a surprise to me. It was in hmm. my head somewhere, but I had forgotten it, and so right. that like kind of that memory unlocked as I was watching it. It was like, oh, that's interesting. And that nostalgia, I think she went out works, like a right? punk, and oh, you know, I think that's that's the the movie's fault. Uh, her performance was good. I did feel like her performance was in a completely different movie, uh, probably <laughs> yes. a better movie. Um, yes. But nonetheless, happy to see her back. The aforementioned Zachary Ty Bryan. I didn't realize who that was as I was watching the movie. Here's what happens every time I watch a fucking movie. I'm watching the movie, <laughs> and then at some point I'll have a question about a casting decision or... Who directed this or who wrote this? And then I'll I'll pull up the Wikipedia page for the movie yes. as I'm watching it. And then I'm kind of learning fun fact. It's like my own version of pop-up video. You know, I'm getting a you know, I don't read the synopsis, but I'm I'm checking out some of the production history and you know, this is movies in 4D, people. Everyone should be doing this. So then I look at the casting and I'm like, Zachary Ty Bryan, why does that sound familiar? And then I <laughs> click through and it's the home improvement fucking kid. Yeah, I was like, so they put the home improvement kid in here as the statutory rapist. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. Um, that delighted <laughs> me to no end. That was just an unexpected surprise. I've got to wonder, like, what people who saw this movie at the time thought of that. And it sounds like both like, well, Eric, it sounds like you definitely saw it in the mm -hmm. theater at the time, right? Yeah. And I, I was a huge fan of uh, Home Improvement. That was like, you know, what? I watched that. I watched that shit all the time. Are you kidding? I was like 12, 13, 14 when that was on. I <laughs> was the target demographic for that. For, 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 for that show. I was, that a, I was a Roseanne dads. guy. Oh, I not fucking home, loved I was, Roseanne and Married yeah. with Children. Those, those are my <clears throat> and, and those are my strangers shit. of course balky right. for life son of course <laughs> um so i definitely clocked that it was him in it. it what's really weird watching it now though is is that you know in real life he's he's like been like convicted of domestic battery and shit yes so, so when you look at when you look at it now and you're like well of course he's playing the the dickhead jock but it was yeah. <clears throat> it, it was a little bit I remember I had kind of a feeling watching him in this movie similar to what I did had when I saw Anthony Michael Hall and Edward Scissorhands and you're just like wait a minute so the kid is now the the jock asshole you know that that weird yeah. that weird kid <laughs> I dig the casting on on that level because you know and I always appreciate that with actors anyway that where they they play one kind of type and then they just want to break out. I mean, we talked about Kurt Russell a second ago. That's exactly what he did because uh, he was a Disney kid. You know, he was a Disney star in his teen years. And, you know, that's why Escape from New York was such a big mm -hmm. uh, departure from him because he got to play a badass. And I remember um, I interviewed him once. And when I interviewed him, I talked specifically about a TV movie he did about the UT Tower Sniper where he is called like deadly that. tower or the, the death death tower or something like that. Good title. Um, yeah. Something like that. But it was, uh, he played the sniper and he was like, he played that when he was like 17, 18, 19. And, uh, and he said very specifically, he did it because he wanted to break clear of the, uh, the Disney image and that he was everybody in his life that was supposed to be looking out for him, like the management, you know, agents and all that. They all said, do not do this. Cause they wanted him to be the, you know, the kind of happy Disney guy for the rest of his life, but yeah. that's not what he was destined to be, man. That's not what he wanted to be. And, and, uh, 
you know, would we have gotten the thing if, you know, or Big Trouble in Little China or, you know, Escape from New York, would we have gotten any of that without that choice? So, like, just on a base level, I really enjoy <laughs> that casting. It just uh, is kind of sad that uh, Zachary Ty Bryan seems to be um, a not great Piece person. Piece of shit. A douche. Yeah. He's probably yeah. wishing he had the Kurt Russell trajectory. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Again, again uh, just you know, making making it very clear that that Jonathan Taylor Thomas has done nobody any no wrong. Uh, he so. killed my dog with a hammer. <laughs> I don't think that's nothing wrong. Okay. So. Yeah. I remember yet another King Cast exclusive. By the way, <laughs> I remember uh, seeing this in theaters and seeing Zachary Ty Bryan, and I had the opposite reaction as you, Eric. I, oh, really? I thought to myself, wow. This era of horror is really scraping the TV star. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Because it's like all the other cool TV stars did other shit. Like, you know, you hmm. like, who else do you go to? Because every movie had to have their, you know, their their CW or at the time the WB kid or like, you know, a sitcom kid. You know, right. like Joseph Gordon Levitt, when he did H2O, was, he was only famous for Third Rock from the Sun. Mm-hmm. Right. Know? And but, uh, so I remember thinking, like, wow, Zachary Ty right. Bryan, huh? But then you're they had right. Rachel, yeah. but then they had Rachel Blanchard from Clueless too. Mm, so, right. who was the yeah, new? Yeah, right. In, but, in that era, you had like Jennifer Love Hewitt, and you had uh, Nev Campbell, and Katie yeah. Holmes was in Disturbing Behavior, right? Katie, had, and Killing Mrs. Tingle, which everybody yeah, always forgets. Of the Michelle Williams is an H two O. Yep. You know, yeah. like. Yeah, you're you're was, you're not wrong. I didn't look at it going, oh man, that's badass, and you know, great yeah. for him. He's a great actor. I just looked at it going, yeah. oh, that's interesting. That's the kid from yeah, Home Improvement. He's to be yeah. different. And then I was conflicted when Joey Lawrence shows up in Urban Legend too. <laughs> like, is this cool or is this cheesy? <laughs> well, it's not there, cool. It's not so, cool. Something okay, you also have to like think about in this era. This is you know, we we keep going back to Scream, but Scream kind of dominated horror you know from the mid 90s through the early aughts until i think jay horror might have dethroned the scream ripoffs but like i got real tired of of horror in this era Uh, i'm not on the whole but like this the the whole trying to replicate the success of scream you know it to me was the least interesting thing because scream works very specifically because it's making a statement about horror and then all these other movies are just trying to be that statement like personified <laughs> it was like know? the wave of tarantino knockoffs that came around in the wake of pulp fiction right or friday the 13th knockoffs but all those are are so much more fun like you know finding the sleepaway camps or the burnings or you know like for whatever reason <laughs> it was just like the the knockoffs of of the like late 70s and early 80s all had they they, they all came very weird um, like if you look at uh, uh, like Jaws, like I love Jaws, my favorite movie of all time. It spawned a shit ton of knockoffs and almost all of them are really good. You know, it's like Piranha. <laughs> uh, tentacles is not good, but, uh, you know, Piranha and uh, Alligator. Those are all mm-hmm. th- those are Jaws knockoffs and they're fucking great. Um, yeah. So I don't know. The, the Scream just didn't have that that uh, legacy. It's great for Scream. It works in Scream. It doesn't work uh, as a you can't you can't. It's hard to replicate something so specific right? and make it seem different or like, you know what I mean? Like it's like I such a specific so. thing that you, you shouldn't replicate it. But I also think in a modern sense, when you look back at a lot of these movies from the era, the thing that a lot of the movies took from screen that they don't get credit for hmm. besides, you know, urban legend has its moment. I really like urban legend and it, it does have its moments of 
it's fun scream esque conversation and you know playing Dawson's Creek theme song and like having those, those meta in jokes and stuff. But the thing I appreciate about this era watching it now is that they all took the, what Scream was so successful at doing was really putting the focus on characters Mm. for better or for worse. You know, some movies are more successful about it than others, but it was less about the Jasons and the Michaels and the Freddies. And it was a different era of horror in the sense that it was Hmm. kind of looking at it from a point of view of empathy and trying to get you to actually identify with characters as opposed to just a killer. Um, which I appreciate looking back on now. Cause like watching this movie, it's not great, but in a modern sense, it's talking about a lot of shit hmm. that a movie in the 1980s wouldn't have done, you know? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. <laughs> I, uh, I'll take a sleepaway camp <laughs> any day over, over a rage character. I, I don't have For anything sure. to add because I avoided a lot of these movies. Is yeah. the thing. And like, I've never seen Urban Legend or any. It's a great, you'd it's probably a like it. I, I, I might, but I, I just, I, I naturally avoided those. And that was like during a period where I'd see anything. But I, I, for whatever reason, I didn't make time for, for many, many of the Scream knockoffs. <laughs> I don't think it's easy. Uh, it's not that it's not easy to replicate them in the sense of ripping them off. It's it's that it's very difficult to uh, deliver that with the same soul as Scream. Right. You know what I'm saying? So you can you can ape anything you want. Like you can fucking I can I can make you a a carbon copy of any movie. Probably have that (laughs) written in a a long weekend if you if you really want it. But I I considered Scream the gold standard of that kind. of Yeah, it's sort of like Saw. Like I fucking the original Saw. I love not a big fan of the sequels at all. Um, and not a fan of the torture porn genre at all. Um, it, so it's like, I did the same thing where it's like, I saw saw and then I saw what was happening after. saw. And I was like, Oh, so it's kind of like saw, but also this trailer sucks. And you know, it's, <laughs> it's the same sort of like, you know, aggressively again, aggressively like late nineties editing with like shaky head cams and fucking filters and all this. Sh- like, I don't, like a no smoking commercial on MTV circa 1997. Like if your movie looks like that, I'm just not interested. And I, I sat out all of the, all of the scream knockoff era and most of the torture porn era. So that's why the, Hmm, I don't have anything. I, fucking, might, I don't have, I just I don't think you might like urban legend. I think a lot of them get an unfair comparison, but like you said, it's the authenticity scream is just so authentic in what it's doing. And you can't, right. You can't be authentic and, from a master, thing. no less. You exactly. Know? It's, but I think uh, I know what you did last summer gets an unfair comparison to that movie. I don't think it's anything like a I don't think it's... Right? No, I, I disagree. I don't think that I know what you did last summer is a scream <clears throat> knockoff at all. But it's, no, it's uh, way more I like that one. I like the yeah. original, that, that one. That's more of an 80s slasher to yeah, me. Yeah, absolutely sure. it fucking is. You know? Yeah. Talk about the and, burning. Uh, and the burning, by the way, we're way, way, way off course here. <laughs> but, it's become but, a... a, a, a an yeah, examination of the entire episode on Carrie, <laughs> Carrie too. Sorry, everyone. But like, I, I do want to say that if any of our younger viewers have not seen the burning, please seek that out. Please. That is, that is a great piece of work. So and amazing. if you need a selling point talking about horny Jason Alexander with a full head yeah. of hair. Okay. So <laughs> don't turn you your nose up at that. People. Watch it with people. It's such a yes. fun group. Watch. It's a fucking blast, dude. It's a really funny movie. 
Um, and if you need any other incentive, the Weinstein spent so much of their power, uh, the, their time in power, buying up all the copies of the burning that they could and, and taking them out of circulation. Did they? Because really? they were so embarrassed by it. Yeah. Why? It's such a good movie. It's like they wrote one it. One of the few good yeah. movies they made. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. They're fucking clowns. Fucking anyway. douchebags. Um, Fisher Stevens pre uh, short circuit two. Yeah. Holly Hunter's in there. It's it's uh, an amazing, amazing it's, thing. Like it's, it's, it's so fucking good. Yeah. Um, but back to Carrie 2's casting choices. Yes. I would also like to point out that Eddie K. Thomas, aka Finch from the yep. American Pie movies, mm-hmm. is in this movie. A very a, a young Finch. I right. somehow this is ninety nine, but didn't when did the first fucking American Pie come out? Ninety nine. So this is like at the same time. I yeah. feel like this movie had to have been filmed. It, feels, it, it looks like two years younger than he did. In, <laughs> and also, Mena Savari is in this. And this is the same year American Beauty came out. Mm-hmm. And she, uh, I'm, I'm willing to bet that Carrie 2 was filmed a year, year and a half, at least before American, American Beauty or American mm-hmm. Pie. Yes. Yeah, I, would, I, I bet that's right. But well, um, because for a while. The, there, there was that like union um, negotiated rule in Hollywood where uh, after 1999, uh, 90% of all projects had to have somebody from the American Pie cast in them. So, uh, <laughs> you know, so this was ahead of the curve, if you think about it in that, those terms. So, yeah. And, 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 American um, Pie cast is in all of this stuff. Huh? Tara Reid's <laughs> an urban legend. <laughs> um. This isn't a casting thing, but uh, one more, you know, uh, technical credit that I want to talk about mm. before we get into the movie proper is uh, the fact that Kat Shea directed this. I was not a me. I, I did not immediately recognize her name, honestly, when I when I saw it on the, you know, the Wikipedia page, I was uh, pop up videoing while I was watching this movie. Yeah. But then I clicked through. This is the woman that wrote, directed Poison Ivy, which for an entire generation of hetero young men was a, a formative experience. I don't think we would want to defend that position now for various reasons, but that was like a, a noted skin flick at that mm-hmm. time. Uh, Eric, mm-hmm. do you have the same memory of this? Oh yeah. Yeah. It's uh, Drew Barrymore. Yeah. Yes. Oh yeah. You know, I had Drew a Barrymore circa the guest jeans ads that she was doing in the mid nineties, which was, <laughs> yep. you know, good Lord. Yeah. It- <laughs> Yeah, isn't that like like a, a like a, a teenager seducing an older older guy movie? Yes, Tom Skerritt. Yeah. If I right, remember right, 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 right. Yep, as yeah. one always does. <laughs> the crush. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Looking at you, Alicia Silverstone, and and Kat Shea, uh, she was an actress that uh, she was in Psycho Three, by the way. Uh, oh, as, Pat- as Patsy, she did another movie in '86 called The Devastator. And was an actor and both she both acted in it and did second unit photography, which is a, a unique credit. And then she went into writing and and directing a lot of stuff. Uh, Strip to Kill, Dance of the <laughs> Damned, Strip to Kill 2, Live Girls, Streets <laughs> in 1990, Poison Ivy 92. She's also the director on uh, Joe Bob's Drive in the Theater in 94 Mm. but yeah she uh she did the rage 2 in uh uh the rage 2 carrie i'm just fucking calling it carrie 2 i'm tired of this (laughs) 
99. And then uh, uh, a, a TV movie in 2000, another TV movie in 2001, and then disappeared until 2019 when she did Nancy Drew in the Hidden Staircase. This is a very <laughs> unique career. Um, so crazy. And she that movie is with the girl from It. Stars oh, uh, Sophia. Uh, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, yeah. I haven't seen it for. I, I don't have any reason to. Through <laughs> in, in the hidden staircase, um, but uh, I don't know. I imagine it's good. I, I fuck. I don't know. Um, but also, she plays a role in Carrie too. She's the uh, assistant district attorney. In yeah, that one scene. She's in that you know, one scene. Yeah, in the movie. But uh, shout out to Cat Shea. Uh, <laughs> Do you know she uh, she actually replaced? They had shot like two or three weeks of the movie with the guy that directed School Ties. This and, movie, uh, yeah, and he no left. Shit. He left, so they shut down production for a week. She came in. She had like a week to do like pre production, and then she had to reshoot all his shit, and then shoot the rest of the movie. Huh. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I so, didn't go deep enough on my Wikipedia dive. Yeah, yeah, she uh, she she saved Carrie too. <laughs> well, in a, well, let's move on beyond that. Yeah, um, <laughs> but actually, let's not move beyond that. Is this a good movie or is it a bad movie? I think I mean, it's a I middle like of the road it. movie. To to be honest, I, I think it's personally. I think that it's got, like you said, it's it's really interesting, kind of looking at it now and seeing where its empathy is. Like, mm-hmm. I think that's a great point that you you made, um, and something I didn't really consider when watching it, but now kind of looking back, it's it really is interesting how you know this this movie is so much ab- about liking the lead, which I guess comes with the carry territory. You're supposed to, you're supposed to like this, this person who is, you know, being shit on the entire movie and then gets their just, you know, revenge. And, uh, uh, even if it is a tragic thing. So I guess it kind of comes with the territory. Maybe I'm giving it a little bit too much credit, but I, I mean, just ultimately, I, I think it's just way more interesting as a product of its time than it is an actual story. Mm-hmm. Know, that, it's it's worth revisiting. Yeah, I actually really like the movie, but probably for all the wrong reasons. I <laughs> right. think it's like super campy and hilarious. And I think, you know, the time capsule of it all, I think is really entertaining to watch now. But I do appreciate like in a lot of ways it's prescient, you know, like the uh, just, it, you know, it's examining rape culture in a way that movies really teen movies, especially then weren't doing. Right. Absolutely. Um, you know, and it's also hard to watch in the sense that, like, none of this shit has changed either. In a way, like, I often wonder like, when I watch it, like, would a studio even let a movie like this be made today? Because they wouldn't want the teen space to, to be discussing something so dark, really, at the end of the day. Because everyone's kind of so puritanical at this fucking point. You know, so I think there's a lot of really interesting conversation going on in the movie, which is why I will go back to it from time to time. Plus I really think Emily Burgle is like really good in the movie. I think Mm -hmm. she's like a very affable lead to watch that. She's enough for me to go back to it every once in a while to just watch this girl kind of navigate this shitty life and then just fucking kill a bunch of people at the end. (laughs) What about you, Scott? What do you, where do you land on it? Um, I found it, I found it very abrasive. Uh, (laughs) I think like the the cruelty of it, and I don't mean just in what they do to Carrie. It's in casual conversations. It's in 
it's in almost every scene of this movie. The the you know the callousness of like bro culture, mm-hmm. and and after a after a while, it's it's so pervasive that you become numb to it. I found, mm-hmm. and you're just like, uh, so this is happening now. Like I I think that the <laughs> I think the inherent evil in what they do to Rachel, um. AKA the rage carry too in that, in that final scene in the, like the, the fucking airport looking McMansion that they're holding that party in, mm-hmm. um, would hit a lot harder if it didn't, if it weren't so abrasive leading up to that point, if hmm. that makes sense. Like, because by that, by the time they, they do all that shit to her, they're not just like filming her. They're not, just making her read out loud from this book of like scorecards that all the football guys have, have racked up, like, you know, uh, sleeping with all these, all these girls. Um, they've also, they're also showing a house full of people video of her fucking, uh, Jesse, Jesse's his name, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, it's so over the top fucking cruel that I, I, I felt a, you know, it, it moved the meter for me a little bit, but also I think if I hadn't spent like, you know, a hundred minutes leading up to that fucking point, hmm. you know, being like soaked in this fucking, uh, uh, like the toxicity of these fucking bros that hmm. it, it would have hit even harder. I didn't find it like difficult to watch. I'm very difficult to, uh, offend in any way, really, but I did feel like it, it, went a little overboard with it to the point where it was just kind of unpleasant to watch for, for most of the running time, but Mm. also sprinkled within that there's, it's doing all these things that I could, I could like list off for you, like easily like three or four things this movie does that I really loved that are sort of outside the box choices or just stylistic choices, stuff like that, where I was like, Oh, I really like that. So it's it's really a mixed bag for me. Um, yeah. I'm glad that I've seen it now, and it's better than I thought I th- thought it was going to be. You know, I thought it was <laughs> better than be any movie movie. named Carrie Two has the right to be. <laughs> yeah, excuse me, the Rage Carrie Two. It's kind of a mixed bag. Like I can't write it off completely um, hmm. because uh, some of uh, uh, Cat Shay's choices here were really strong and and interesting, but I can't wholeheartedly recommend it either. It's it's kind of a nasty piece of work, and that sort of makes me respect it. So, yeah, you wonder, complicated wonder reaction. what Cat Shay's like. I'm curious to know. Like, I was like deep diving trying to find an interview with her about this movie, and I couldn't find anything. Mm-hmm. And I was curious to like. I was thinking the same thing watching it last night. I like want to get in her head and know if like that was just like her way of saying you need to conf- the abrasiveness is on purpose because that's the way you need to. Conf- I need to show you that this shit happens sure. or if it's just like, you know, this movie suffers from one of the post scream things where scream had a lot of really funny comedy and wit in its characters dialogue. And this movie suffers from trying to replicate that. But a lot Mm. of movies at the time just made kids assholes thinking that was funny. Yes. Um, Whereas like none of the characters in scream are outright assholes. You know, there's some insensitivity and stuff in that movie, but it's by design. Mm -hmm. Um, And they're also all really intelligent kids and they sound like kids where snark and just meanness kind of took over in later scream clones. 
Yes. Um, and you're just like, that's that's not Scream, bro. Like the Dylan Bruno who played Mark, I like could not that character could not die fast enough for me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, Absolutely. And, like, and like his fucking voice affect, like, I'm like, is that a character choice or is that like the <laughs> actor doing this? Like, I want to know what that affect is because it the the deepness of that voice and my favorite part is when he like prank calls her and like literally says what's your favorite scary movie yeah in a donald and, uh, duck voice donald duck voice but then when he like turns to his real voice she's like who is this i'm like girl it's clearly <laughs> mark no one's doing like a crash test dummies voice in this movie except him <laughs> <laughs> you know like so it's like those kind of choices that i'm like all right <laughs> what does this mean um, or was it just no one knew? <laughs> hey, what the hell? What happened to the, the Dragula sound cue? Uh, well, remember we talked about that we were kind of worried it'd be a little much? There's no such thing, my good man. <sighs> All right. That's right, folks. It's time for the mid-roll ad, once again, brought to you by the good folks at Athletic Greens. We've been using Athletic Greens literally every day here at KingCast HQ, and not a moment too soon. Eric and I are possessed of Adonis-like bodies, and we need to keep those up in order to keep our podcasting game strong. So what is this stuff? With one delicious scoop of Athletic Greens, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, aging, all the things. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition, especially heading into the flu and cold season. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day, and that's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements or even a prescribed doctor to look out for your health. Yeah, I wouldn't say that. You should probably still see your doctor. But uh, but point Fair taken. Enough. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash kingcast. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash kingcast to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. And with that said, back to the show. <laughs> centerpiece of this movie uh, is clearly when Rachel finally wilds out at the, mm-hmm. yeah. at the match. Wilds out. Yes. To, to, to put it very sharply. Um, <laughs> a lot of back and forth leading up to that point, but we all know in a Carrie sequel, it's going to have to lead up to a point where the main character loses her shit and wrecks a bunch of motherfuckers. As well she does. Uh, <laughs> there is, and it is Pretty spectacular, I gotta say. The deaths are hilariously over the top. You know, for about 10 minutes, I really fell in love with it. Uh, <laughs> and, it and it all builds up to the, the spear gun scene, mm-hmm. which uh, so good. is nothing I will soon forget. Uh, I, can, <laughs> I, I can share that with our listeners. And neither uh, were, have, will Zachary Ty Bryan. Yeah, yeah, couldn't have happened to a better guy. <laughs> yeah, let me let me set the stage of this for those of you who have not seen this. Um, so Carrie starts doing what Carrie does, uh, aka Carrie. Rachel, aka the Rage <laughs> Carrie too, and the the party goers who are now locked inside this you know 
I, I really cannot overstate how opulent and ridiculous this fucking mansion is. It's <laughs> it's awful. It's so um, 90s. It looks like a mall plus an airport plus like a fucking uh, sharper image catalog, like all fucked. <laughs> it had a chud baby and now this is what, you know, an architect brought to life. You know, it's yeah. that kind of thing. It looks like a soundstage. <laughs> it's got a, it's got like fucking concert screens in the living room with like, you know, 10 foot fucking digital screens over a bar or some sh- It's just, there's, it's a, there's the a shot where, uh, house ever. <laughs> there's a shot where the rage carries who like walks into the foyer of the house and like all the party goers turn and look at her like, you know, like, what is she doing here? And I'm looking at that space and there's like three fucking dozen people spread out on screen as far as the eye can see. And I'm thinking like, OK, now imagine this space with no people in it. Your living room is the size of a fucking Applebee's. Like it doesn't make <laughs> any goddamn like who fucking lives like this anyway. So, you know. The Rage Carry 2 starts fucking wilding out, as we've already said. Uh, so the party goers start going frantic. They're trying to get away. They're trying to protect themselves. And so some of the bros go up to the dad, what appears to be the dad's office. The dad is a lawyer, by the way. Doesn't have anything mm-hmm. to do with fish, if that's what you're <laughs> thinking. And mm-hmm. they find a, like a glass case <laughs> filled with spear guns. They don't even know. Like One of them grabs a mountain. It's like, what is this? And someone's like, oh, it's a spear gun. I go, Okay. Like, so they're going to fight her with spear guns now, right? And a flare, flare gun. Yeah, and a flare flare gun. gun. And a flare gun, that's true, that's true. We mustn't leave out the flare gun. And a couple minutes goes by. I forget how they get outside because all the doors are, well, they're they're locked in general, but also there's scenes where people are leaving out the door. So I don't know what the fucking consistency is. Well, everything's glass. So I think they finally just throw something through it, right? That might make sense. Yeah, sure. Well, the glass does break when she she wilds out at the beginning because that's very famous too or or infamous for the era because the actress, like almost all the publicity around the movie is stories about the actress getting cut up whenever that that gag went off and and she had like real – Real oh, cuts from all yeah. that glass. I forgot oh, about right. that. Yeah. So, well, yeah. There, there were there was breaking, sliding glass doors all over the place. So there, there are conceivable exits. The whole house is made of glass and spear guns and video screens. <laughs> and so the and Applebee's. So there's like a few bros, including Home Improvement Kid, uh, <laughs> the the main bad guy, and also the, also <laughs> like this this other. Uh, I forget the character's name. She's like. I don't know, she has movies. glasses, which becomes relevant in a moment. And uh, <laughs> yeah. so gla- so it's glasses, home improvement, and the main bad kid. And they're like sort of backed up against the pool. And Carrie comes out. Excuse me, the rage Carrie too. And they're all pointing spear guns at her. And so first thing that Rachel does is she implodes the glasses on glasses. So it's actually really great. It's really <laughs> great. Yeah. <laughs> like explodes them inward. So like shards of glass go in her eye and fucking, you know, I got a, I got a thing with eyeballs to begin with. So like, that's like really upsetting for me to see. So I'm on board with that. Then, and here's the key moment. Now the blinded girl swings her spear gun around and shoots home improvement directly through the junk <laughs> with the spear gun, which then carries through his legs and into the pool with, if I am not mistaken, a dick and balls attached to it. Was that what yep. I was seeing? Yes. At least and testicles. 
least testicles. testicles and his pants surrounding the testicles. <laughs> yes, ladies and gentlemen, what do you call that act? The aristocrats. This was <laughs> fan fucking tastic. I could not have been more happier in that. Yeah, it's a cool. It's a cool moment for sure. Yes. That's my rant about that scene. He does sh- <laughs> the the main bad guy does shoot her with a flare gun a minute later, and then she, you know, tricks him into the pool, and then the pool covers close and all that shit. But I I really just want to highlight the spear gun demasculation of home improvement there. I think that's so the, great. Yeah. that's the key moment. Mark deserved a, a more brutal death, if you ask me, mm. other than drowning. <laughs> like, yes, she should have saved the CDs in the back for him. Or something. Oh, the CDs. <laughs> My, Michael, mm. tell them, tell, tell our listeners about the CDs. Okay, so she is now, as you said, wilding out in the living room. You know, to catch listeners up, she she found out she's part of this game that these football players play. She's worth 30 points because earlier in the movie she says she's a dyke, mm-hmm. um, which is a really funny moment. So they award her 30 points, and you know, her tattoo that she shares with her friend Lisa starts growing thorns all over her body. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, I like that. She, yeah, super cool. And she, uh, the party's going through mayhem, and people are people are uh, scattering about trying to escape. And mm-hmm. she looks at a pile of CDs that are sitting next to the television or a stereo. About four hundred CDs that are set in loose stacks. And one of the girls that we meet in the movie um, is running away and. Carrie too. Um, telekinesis is the, it can't even say that word, t- t- makes yeah, the right. CDs move in unison. And they're like, a, it's almost like they're a, a snake following this girl. And they eventually catch up to the girl and they implant themselves up and down her back. It's pretty, actually pretty cool. So this girl gets killed by being stabbed by flying CDs. <laughs> there was a period in the 90s where CDs were used as weapons in <laughs> horror movies i know yes. i've seen this several times the first Not one that comes horror movies one of the one of the hellraisers uh-huh. the the one of the one of the cenobites has uh i i believe the the character's name is uh cd head which is <laughs> oh my God. compact disc head actually well <laughs> yeah. you know what a what a, a feast for the imagination cd head <laughs> Um, good job to whoever named that one. Um, <laughs> what, what is the other example you're thinking of, Eric? Uh, I, I blame Aerosmith because I, I think that CDs as weapons oh. all originated from <laughs> Revolution, yes. which is the Aerosmith video game where you you have a gun that shoots CDs at uh, New World Order military police that are trying to keep uh, the youth down. Yeah, available <laughs> in every roller skating rink circa every. 1994. And I'll always remember that game for you. Play Play it and you're just shooting rapid fire CDs at using cool. music to kill the bad guys. And every time you you die, in order to encourage the youth who was playing this game to put in another quarter to keep playing, Steven Tyler screams, <laughs> Don't give up. <laughs> <laughs> Don't give up. That's pretty good. Yeah. They uh I will give you a time cut spoiler. Mm. A CD is used to affect in that movie too. Mm. Yes. Time cut for those of you who don't remember from the intro is the next film that uh, Michael is working on with yes, uh, and it involves time travel. So that's why a CD is in the mix. So you're bringing back the you're bringing back the CD killings of the 90s. I like this. Yeah. Yeah. 
So yeah, it's a really cool moment though in that movie. It's like a really, uh, it's creative. It was a creative death. Mm-hmm. In, uh, it's definitely memorable. I'll yeah. I'll give it give it that. And you know, memorable, I don't have yeah. much. I don't have much problem with with the end of the movie, and I think that it it's just it it took too long to get there. I feel like, and I feel like yeah. uh, if you want to deconstruct it, like all the Sue Snell stuff is so tacked on and so obviously just kind of stapled onto another story. And yeah, and if they'd integrated that a little bit more, you know, other than just two scenes shot in her office where she's talking to Rachel, you know, then I think that it could have been something bigger and deeper and more interesting, especially for the main character. But like I, you know, the ending kind of, it is, it satisfies you. It like, it does such a good job of making you hate these dude bros. And, you know, in that way, it's a very active feminist, you know, (laughs) movie, you know, something that would, uh, that that would piss off Rush Limbaugh at the time, you know? (laughs) know, So, so you always got to, uh, uh, you know, throw in some props for that. Well, the movie's missing. Uh, the reason it feels like it takes forever is because we spend a good chunk of the movie, not with Rachel. Whereas when Carrie wasn't at school in the original, she was at home dealing with her crazy ass mom. Right. Right. And it's not like you need the same setup, but you need to give, you need to stay with Rachel the whole movie. Otherwise you're just like, why am I watching these shitheads that I know are going to die? Anyway? <laughs> right. You know, like we get it. They fucking suck. I don't need to see like them fighting in a locker room over Rachel. Like, <laughs> you know, like mm-hmm. the, it, it's such a product of its time. Whereas like the seventies has this like beautiful meditation on motherhood and what it is to, you know, essentially be beholden to your parents Mm-hmm. And this has such the '90s wave of she's going to fall in love with the nice guy, you know, like <laughs> which is just well, so uninteresting, right? Well, um, that, you you bring up something very interesting there in that the De Palma movie is as much of a time capsule of that period as R- the Rage Carry Two is a time capsule yeah. of, of the late '90s because there, there's nothing timeless about Carry. Like I love that movie, but it is so died in the wool mid seventies, mid to late seventies. You know, it's the way it shot the, the milky soap opera photography, the, the sense of humor it has, the the, Mm -hmm. the clothing, the hairstyle, everything is so that time. And there isn't no more authentic genre movie from the late nineties in my, to my personal high school experience than the rage carry Two. not what happens in the movie, but just the, the background extras, the clothing, the hairstyles, like the music, everything that that was my high school experience. That that is not the like Austin Powers looking at the '60s version that we would get if somebody tried to make it today, right? But there's a, <laughs> there, there's an authenticity to to that thing. And I'm trying to think of like, is that you know the other Carrie stuff? Like, there's the Brian Fuller, uh, the mm-hmm. one that he wrote, the TV movie with Angela Bettis, is very much kind of what that like early aughts TV was like. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm trying to think of like the Chloe Grace Moretz. Maybe we're not far enough away from that. Like, like that one feels just more generic. Um, I never saw it, but, but I, but I'm just wondering like if, if that's just somehow the curse of Carrie is to always be in <laughs> a time capsule of, of if you're going to attack the story or a sequel to the story, it's always going to be like doomed to be an exact time capsule of that, that era. Maybe it, it has to, do with it need to be, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that may, might have to just be uh, due to the fact that it's always set in high school and high school is always going yeah. to be there. Yeah. And yeah, if you want to make it authentic to the current timeless. high school experience, then it's got to be, you know, of that time. Right. 
The most a timeless aspect of it, though, is just of all four of those movies is just the reality of like being bullying and, and right? the, you know, small town power structure. Um, you know, I remember I was writing a movie uh, set in high school and there was like a lot of conversation with the the studio and stuff about, well, this isn't how kids sound like in that the jock structure isn't the same. And I'm like, dude, go to a small town. Stop right. thinking like L.A. is the center of the world. Like my nieces and nephews, like th- that whole sports bro is like the prom queen. Like that shit still happens. Right. Like that stuff's timeless because I don't know. It's just like America. Like it's never going to yeah, change. The social dynamics that naturally yeah. result from the American high school experience. Yeah. And, and I think maybe kids are there are a lot of kids who are more empathetic and sympathetic and open-minded, but that power dynamic, especially in small town America has not changed at all. You know, it's interesting. We're talking about this because this is something I was like thinking about while I was watching this movie and you may be able to speak to it. Having written freaky, what I was thinking while I was watching this was like, well, if you had to make this movie today, how would you like, I'm a 40 year old man. Right. I don't have like I have a pretty good handle on social media lingo and such. Like I can speak Twitter fluently. Yeah. But I don't know that I could go to the the average high school and have a conversation with anyone there that would make any sense. (laughs) You know, I I just I, I, I have to assume that I would be so out of touch that like I don't even know who's fucking musical guesting on SNL anymore. You know, like, so what the, what the fuck, like, what am I going to, if I were writing a script and it was high school kids circa 2021, I would be way out of my element. And how do you solve that problem? Like when you were writing freaky, like, how did you know you were capturing what felt to me like a, a pretty accurate voice of high school kids of this general area? Um, did you just wing it? Like, or, yeah, I mean, I know there's, you know, there's probably certain, I know there's people out there who say like some of our dialogue was cringe and maybe it is, but I think the the biggest way I looked at it is I know Chris and I had a lot of discussions about it is like the worst kind of high school stuff to me is like the people that try to sound like high school kids where they're saying Mm. shit like bay and woke and no cap. And, you know, uh, that's sus, like that kind of shit. It's like, dude. You know, like maybe they talk like that on TikTok and shit, but I don't think kids are like generally saying that to each other. And Chris and I decided like at the end of the day, let's just rate these kids as if they were fucking people. Right. (laughs) And like adults, like uh, kids talk like people, you know, like I I don't think a lot of the lingo is truly a part of it. And I have like, I have 14 nieces and nephews. So I have, and Chris has a bunch of nieces and nephews too. Christ almighty. My nieces and nephews range from age like eight to 22 uh, or 21. The fuck do you do at Christmas? Dude, (laughs) like pile into my brother's house and it's just a fucking yell fest. No, but how do you buy Uh, gifts? uh, Oh, we, you only buy for godchildren. The kids, the nieces and nephews do a gift exchange amongst themselves. They do a secret Santa amongst themselves. And then we don't buy (laughs) for each other. Yeah. My siblings don't buy for each other. Um, yeah. it's very it's very structured <laughs> it's a hierarchy for <laughs> gifts I you got a spreadsheet an excel spreadsheet up. yeah yeah but they do a secret you're, santa in the you are in the, they, the circle of trust level one so you're getting a <laughs> gift card <laughs> 
so yeah, when we were tackling it, we just kind of were like, let's not try to be hip. Let's just try to make them sound as authentic as possible. Right on. And then, and then when the kids were cast, that's when we did a pass kind of through their eyes of who Catherine, Celeste, and Misha are as people. Right. And just kind of let them guide us a little bit on like, oh, well, a kid wouldn't say this, but they might say this. And some of it was really minor. Um, and But I think movies tend to fail when they try to replicate it, right. either through dialogue or through social media, especially. I think most social media-centered films are terrible. Um, yes. Yeah. And social, social media, media does have its own anymore. language. Right. You know, that I don't think carries over to, to real life. I don't yeah. I don't necessarily speak in the same way that I speak on Twitter that I do on right like in person. Sometimes you'll throw that in there and it's but it's always meant as a joke. Almost. Right. You know what I right. mean? Like and so that's I don't, my yeah, that's my impression of like how the you, I don't have as many nieces and nephews as Michael does. But, uh, you know, I have two and one of them is uh, in high school this year. He's a freshman. And like I'll when I see him and his friends or whatever, and they will throw out what I would characterize as like a, a social media word or a, like, a, a, or like, like that slang or that kind of thing. But it's never done like in seriousness. It's always like, hey, now I'm now I'm being funny. This is yeah. me. Like it's yes. it's like it's the same way that movie geeks like will talk in movie quotes and stuff, and we're not actually communicating and right, right. going like, oh, I'm <laughs> saying this is an original idea or, or whatever. It's always like, oh, this carries with it. You know, mm-hmm. you're gonna need a bigger boat, or you know, I, I got a bad <laughs> feeling about this or whatever. Right. You know, it carries with it like kind of a wink. You know, to something I, uh, that you recognize. Yeah, I had a notes call once on a script because I had a teenager use the word puke mm. in reply to something <laughs> stupid someone said. They were like, "Ew, puke." Uh-huh. And I had like a 45 minutes note call about that one piece of dialogue because the producer was like, and their exec was like. That's not a 21st century teen. 21st century <laughs> teens don't sound like that. And I'm like thinking to myself, I'm like, you guys are like two years younger than me. Like, what do you even know? Yeah. What so is like their word the, for puke then? Well, that but they were like a teen wouldn't say that. They would think of something more clever is what they were saying. So I text my niece while I would text. Well, text teens are yeah, more clever like, than you, the screenwriter. Yeah. And we need you to get on their fucking <laughs> yeah. level. So I text four of my nieces in a group chat while I was on the phone with these execs. And they were, at the time, they were 15, 16, 17, and 18. So the four of them. And I text them. I said, and I like essentially shared the line of dialogue that this person was responding to. I go, how would you guys respond? And two of them were just like, I don't know. I would just maybe make a noise. And then two of the other two literally said, ew, barf. So I was like, (laughs) Okay, so my nieces just said barf. Does that work for you? <laughs> like, they like wouldn't like take it at face value that my nieces were saying that. So like the, the, line, the line ended up being cut. But I'm just like, are we really having a conversation about this? Like, I'm pretty sure kids use the word puke still. Yeah. <laughs> they would you know? recite an obscure line from Shakespeare's. Right. I would say puke guys... before barf. Barf seems like more of an 80s term to me. Yeah, yeah. it does. But I was also just thinking to myself, I'm like, do you guys want me to go to like Urban Dictionary? Is that what you're saying right now? Like, <laughs> or are you guys on Urban Dictionary, like looking at other words? I'm like, this is just so stupid. <laughs> <laughs> well, in um, you know, to that point though, like movies can be a little exaggerated. That's kind of 
that's kind of what they're there for. I don't like my high school experience uh, in my middle school experience, I guess around this time uh, it came out like nobody talked like Cher from Clueless until Clueless came out. And then guess what? People started talking like Cher from Clueless. Right. There's a reciprocal thing that goes on. Right. Yeah. They tend to invent like, like movies like Clueless kind of invent a language. But like my favorite was during freaky after it came out, we had a couple people that would like tweet, to Chris and I being like, some of your dialogue was ridiculous. And my reply always was, I'm really sorry that we didn't have authentic dialogue in a movie where two people swap bodies. <laughs> yeah, no shit. <laughs> I'm like, really? You're like thinking this isn't believable? That man is in a 17-year-old girl's body. <laughs> like, I'm sorry. <laughs> and by the by the way, just on the subject of cringe. I hate this fucking term. Oh man. It drives yeah. me insane. The term cringe is makes me cringe. Like yeah. 90% Same. of the time it's being applied to someone just being earnest and let people be fucking earnest from time to time. You know, mm-hmm. you don't have to be above everything. Like every second what? of the goddamn day. I'm a, like deeply cynical and uh, very, <laughs> very flippant about almost everything. You know, I'll, I'll turn anything into a fucking joke. Cause that's how I deal with it. You know, but cringe, there's something so childish and like this willful because of how it's misused. Mm. There's this willful sort of uh, uh, lack of empathy to it that drives me fucking nuts. I just I hate that word so, Mm. so much. Whoever taught you all the word cringe fucked up. That's what I'm saying. It also yeah, it's like well, it's like you're too cool for the person yeah. speaking earnestly for once. Someone's like, like my my dad died. He was hit by a dump truck, and someone's like, it's like, bro, cringe. pretty cringe. And you're like, <laughs> what? It, it, Jesus. It's also, it, it doesn't sound right. Like maybe it is like uh, grammatically correct. I have no idea. Like, it's not. I, I'm, I'm really shitty it's... at that. But like, if I would have used that word, it would have been cringy. Like, oh man, that that's cringy. Like, you know, that that makes it cringy. And I have the same fucking thing with the way people use the word bias. They don't, they, no, they use no it way. like in the wrong way. It's like, like, oh man, you all are critics biased. are biased. You're, you are biased. It's like, no, you're biased. <laughs> yes. yeah, that's how you use that word. And that's, I don't think they're using it in cringe, I think is a slang term. I think cringy right. is the right word, but cringe is sort of the yeah. new model, right? Right. right, right. Yeah. Bias—that's just dumb motherfuckers. Yeah, who who don't who who don't realize that that uh, the ed at the end kind of gets lost in the s, right? So they 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 just think that that's how you spell that that word that they. Well, heard. think about it. Have you ever seen someone saying you are bias and they're not a complete fucking idiot? <laughs> no, they're, they're almost like a Joker they're, avatar or like an yeah, anime all, avatar or some always shit. Zach always Snyder, always Zack Snyder people. Yeah, you the other word I can't stand is yeah. um, people who you know ninety nine percent of people who use the word gaslight are using it wrong. Oh yes. Jesus, that's <laughs> like, another you one. Gaslit oh, or did someone just lie to you? Were you gaslit or are you just upset with that person? Like Yet another like, of, of social media's crimes that uh, <laughs> words are losing meaning at, like a, at a rate that yeah. they have never lost meaning before. It's, yeah, it's, nothing means anything anymore. Yeah. If you can't tell, this is a podcast with, uh, with three 40-year-old men. Yes, yeah, so I was going to say, we sound like such men yelling at clouds In right my now. day, we had slap wrap <laughs> bracelets and we French rolled our, our caveriches. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and hypercolor t-shirts and we were fine with it. Yes. Umbros. 
Anyway, so teens listening to the show, fucking step it up a notch. Jesus. <laughs> yeah, we That's were what promised we're uh, Diablo. Uh, Diablo. We were promised Diablo Cody uh, <laughs> level thing from you guys, not mis- misusing already pre-existing words. So yeah, cringe. Uh, cringe. <laughs> maybe I'm just biased. Yeah. I do love the moment in this movie. <laughs> I love that bringing it back to the movie where Eddie <laughs> K. Thomas and his friends are like hanging out on a car though. And the house is on fire and they're like, man, we're missing a really good party. <laughs> he says we're missing a killer party. So it's ah, pun. Yeah. A little pun action going there for Finch. Pretty exciting yeah. stuff for him. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, would recommend I forgot this movie we were too. talking about a movie too, but do we have, do yeah. we have anything else to say about the movie? Mm. I would recommend it to people. I I, th- I think I would recommend it with the qualifier of it's better than you would probably think it is. Yes. I'd recommend it for getting a nice 90s nostalgia dopamine hit mm-hmm. while also applauding the movie, maybe not succeeding fully on it, but for talking about things about 20 years before people were ready to. Yeah, we were talking during the pre-show that uh, there is a strong undercurrent in this that is found in um, single young woman. Uh, that's not the word. Single white female. Promising, promising young woman. Promising, promising young, young woman. You know, the idea of this, the friend who's sort of getting revenge in a sense, you know, uh, not so directly here because it's what what they do to the Rage Carry 2 versus what they did to Mena Savari's character. But she is on this like hunt to sort of track down what happened with what caused her friend to throw herself off the building and then ultimately getting revenge. Right. So there's, mm-hmm. there's a little bit of a correlation there to what happens in promising young woman, where you find out that, you know, her character is, you know, rewriting the wrongs of what hat what happened leading up to, you know, her friend's death. Okay. Right. Um, so it is, it is playing in the same sort of arena here. And I think that, I think, I think that's, something worth talking about while recommending it to people. It's very prescient. It's very timely. Um, it's, it is abrasive and, uh, it is nineties as all fuck, but you know, these, it's it's promising young woman with a more satisfying ending. Yeah. I was going to say, if people, people that were disappointed with promising young woman for a lack of murder, here you go. That's true. There there is, there is a noticeable lack of, uh, of spear gun (laughs) testicles and, yeah. <laughs> promising young woman and that's yeah. probably why it didn't win win the oscar points off for that points off for that yeah gotta say but <laughs> but yeah um, it was better than i thought it was i was i was ready to berate you uh for for michael for for making, for making us watch, watch this. this yes um, <laughs> we've we've, this we've had a, an 11 63 episode in the works for some time now that it's it's just a scheduling concern getting it worked out. But whenever we lock it in, it's going to be a thing where, you know, I'm going to have to revisit the book, which I'll be happy to do because I haven't read it since release. But also, I'm going to have to watch that whole fucking Hulu series. And I've only seen like a few episodes of it, and I'm already like dreading the fucking chore. That, that honestly, that's that guess, the reason I didn't pick it. <laughs> <laughs> that guest is going to be in trouble one way or another when we get on the line. But. uh you know, this, I didn't hate it. And yeah, I'm glad that I've minutes. seen it. You know, it's entertaining. I think it's, you know, it's, 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 uh, for anyone who hasn't watched it or people who have watched it and think, think it's terrible. I don't, I don't want to say you're wrong, but I think 
kind of like Scream 3, which I used to hate with a passion. Mm -hmm. And I used to hate this movie with a passion. As I've gotten older and as times have gotten a little bit, just more people more vocal about righting wrongs in the world. I think both those movies play better today for me than they did 20 years ago. So they're worth a relook just in that sense. If people have already watched it and was like, no, that movie sucks. Um, It depends who, yeah, who you're wanting to recommend stuff to. uh, Cause this isn't to to me, the rage carry to is a curiosity more than like, Oh man, you should really, you're going to get something out of it. It's just like, well, you've seen all the big ones. You've seen the classics. You've seen the notoriously shitty, entertainingly shitty ones. You know, you should give this one a shot. It's got something to say. Yeah. 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 At at worst, you're getting home improvement in there. You're getting a castration via spear gun. You're getting Mm -hmm. CD deaths. You're getting every male member of the cast, except for Finch, wearing like an obnoxious late 90s silver (laughs) necklace. You know, this was like this was right before uh, bro necklaces turned to puka shells. (laughs) <laughs> you know when that, that became a big thing so this yeah. is like you know you're seeing a this very much a time capsule in terms you're gonna of see some yeah. some non-ironic hacky sack playing in the background it's yep. just gonna, <laughs> a lot of ladies for, uh, for the ladies engaged you get a lot of butt you get a lot of man butt mm, oh what was that fucking scene where the coach like made the guy drop his pants and then he gets his face like inches from his ass and was like yeah i just wanted to see if you had a tampon in and i'm like you have a you have your fucking face in that man's ass son (laughs) (laughs) you're 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 two seconds away from fucking giving this guy a rim job you're not in any position to be talking about like (laughs) fucking tough guy masculinity but he's you know it's toxic masculinity scott oh yes (laughs) i I always forget about that and the precursor to pink eye <laughs> yeah. It'd be funny if you saw later in the movie that coach has like a match on. <laughs> swollen shut, big as a baseball. What happened? I'm some, not like, talking cool, about it. There's some like really interesting stuff though uh, about just the system. You know, like Zachary Ty Bryan, Home Improvement, almost like fucking knocks a kid's head off, and his coach is like pissed off because like. Of course he is. Like that's considered like he's like a man. He almost killed that other football player. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But of course, like he's celebrating it. His dad is celebrating his essential sexual conquest. And like a movie that felt to me in '99, like ugh, this is just so off the charts, ridiculous. It's like you're learning that a lot of this behavior is just pretty true. Totally. Like you know, it's like you you would stuff that you used to think was like unrealistic or like over the top you're realizing that like humanity can't go over the top because <laughs> <laughs> we suck yeah so bad you know as we keep being reminded every day yeah <laughs> so i'd recommend it well michael your next project as as we talked about earlier is uh time cut which yeah. uh hannah mcpherson is directing um wonderful hannah you look this up on imdb right now it says no plot description available what can you tell us <laughs> So, uh, yeah, Hannah directed it, Chris Landon produced with Ace Productions. So the quickest way to put it is when they announced it, they announced it as Back to the Future meets Scream. Um, But I can tell you a little bit more. It's about a teenage girl named Lucy who lives in 2022. She's kind of a loner. She doesn't have a great relationship with her parents, but she's like a science genius. Really smart girl, keeps to herself. Um, mostly because her 
sister was murdered by a serial killer when she was 17 in 2003. Her and four other classmates were essentially killed by like your typical movie slasher. And in modern times, you know, the town's kind of never recovered and her parents never, never recovered. And the kicker is that Lucy was born after her sister was murdered. So she essentially has spent her whole life feeling like she was like a replacement child. Mm -hmm. Um, So she kind of resents the life her sister had because her parents were sunny and shiny and bright and loving and all these things. And now they're kind of dark and downtrodden. Um, when she inadvertently stumbles on a time machine and ends up going back to the events that happened to her sister and her friends. So like two days before her sister is murdered is where she ends up back in 2003 and she meets her sister and is like, Oh fuck. No wonder my family is so <laughs> like bummed. She's awesome. Yeah, right. But then she realizes, do I stay and save my sister or do I go home? Because if I stay and save my sister, I'll probably never exist. Hmm. So she has like a like a huge coming of age story on what it is to be a sister, what it is to be family, and what to do. Do you sacrifice yourself, or do you do you let what has already happened continue to happen so you can live? It's really it's really a fun movie. And at the end of the day, I always describe it as it's a love story between two sisters, which is cool. I'm into it. Yeah, how many? Uh, how there's many, a CD. Uh, yeah, well, CD. I want to know how many uh, dicks get blown off with spear guns in this, mm. in this picture. Unfortunately, zero. Mm. Wow, but uh, uh, something for that's something for you to work on a success story, <laughs> a success but, story uh, like that as a screenwriter. It's uh, spear Same. gun murderers. It's just castrations. Should write a movie just castrating dudes. <laughs> Um, <laughs> it'd, it'd be like a horror movie just entirely cent- centered around castrations would be funny as shit. <laughs> it it yeah. would be like the horror version of that uh, Robocop spoof where he just keeps shooting all the dicks off. It. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine it like the slasher just like fucking bursting into a Chili's and just like lopping <laughs> off dicks left and right, like a machete <laughs> in each hand. Like that's his whole thing. And they're like, awesome. what the fuck, dude? Like you're not even killing these people necessarily. You're just cutting off dicks. Yeah, that's gotta, what I'm here to do. Like, that would be pretty fucking... I would sounds watch like that an movie. I think you should leave sketch somehow. <laughs> <laughs> I would watch it, is is my point. I would, and, too. And we will definitely watch uh, Time Cut. I understand that's in post-production right now. Uh, we're going to see yeah, it this year? Post. Yeah, we should. Okay, yeah. that's very exciting. Yeah. I'm thinking second half of 2022. Yeah, right on. Well, it sounds yeah. like uh, back half of the year kind of thing anyway. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you're not aiming that, yeah. to dump a movie in in January. Not that they did that with Scream. <laughs> I'm just saying. You know. Open Scream is re, Scream Halloween not being the only franchise back. Right. Mm-hmm. Open Scream is really wetting people's appetites for more slashers. I think Freaky yeah. would have done that, but we got released at a really sh- shitty time. Yeah. And then I'm shooting a Christmas slasher later this year. Yes. Um, which which we will be really discuss. funny. Yeah, I can't say much about that, but it's it's got really good, a really good team and a really good uh, couple of studios and really good director. And it's a really fun story. Can I, I say without spoiling it that it has an excellent title? Yeah, it has an excellent <laughs> title. Yeah, it has a great title. You're going to you're um, going to enjoy it. Uh, horror. It was horror funny. Fans. The producers were like, this is a working title, obviously. And the director came on and he's like, I will walk from this movie. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, it's you guys know who the director is, and it sounds just like him, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Oh. <laughs> I can picture his face right now, as a matter of fact. <laughs> the Rage Freaky 2. Yes, <laughs> The Rage Carry 3. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being here today. This was a blast. It was also this longer was than the movie itself, which I commend all of us for, uh, <laughs> gentlemen. But uh, please come back at some point. Uh, maybe uh, we'll, yeah, maybe we'll loop back around to you when uh, the movie that shall not be named uh, comes out, or or Perfect. maybe time cut, or wh- who knows what might other. happen. Who knows? Perfect. Um, Love it. And uh, tell our our mutual friend Brian Fuller we said hello, please. Will do. Yeah, excellent. Actually, he texts me during the show. I got to text him back. This motherfucker <laughs> interrupting yeah. things. <laughs> you got to say I'm busy. I'm the new king he, of the king cast. He now. probably yeah, he probably wants to finish his plot synopsis of the mist since we cut him <laughs> off uh, that one time. <laughs> well, thank you for being here today, sir. This is thank great. you guys. Many thanks to Michael Kennedy for joining us for that rollicking discussion, that <laughs> time travel back to the late 90s. Uh, that is, it kind of comes with the territory when you're discussing the Rage Carry 2. So yeah. you can't you can't not address the giant 9,000 pound elephant in the room, which is uh, middle parts and hair and hacky sack playing uh, people. Yes, absolutely. And Michael was the perfect guest for this. Uh, also, knocked this appearance out of the park. Hell yeah, he did. Uh, Knows what he's doing, knows his shit, knows about his late 90s lore. Uh, Mm -hmm. Love to have him back sometime. And we are, of course, very excited about his upcoming time cut, as well as the other uh, super secret movie that he's working on, which I can't talk about, so I don't know why I brought it up. But uh, we've got good things in the future from that guy, and we look forward to hearing from him again. For sure. Yeah, for sure. And speaking of looking forward to things, we got a couple of really juicy episodes on the horizon in the next mm-hmm. seven days. Uh, which one do you want to talk about first? Do you want to talk about Patreon? Or do you want to talk about next week's show? Let's get the Patreon out of the way. This Friday, we're going to be talking about, well, we're doing a little a little KingCast news update. We haven't done one of these in a while. Two big things happened this week in, in Stephen King world. And this Friday, we're going to be talking about the fact that A, Stephen King has a gigantic 600-page new novel coming out called Fairy Tale, uh, an excerpt of, of which was released in uh, Entertainment Weekly this week. And uh, boy, did it get our imaginations going. We're, we're really excited about this book. And uh, we'd like to talk a little bit about that. And also... Uh, we've just learned that later is being turned into a series. We have the folks at Blumhouse, Stephen King, who's uh, Lucy, Lucy Liu, Liu. Lucy yeah. Liu playing the lead. Very, very intriguing business going on over there. For sure. And next week on the show is a pretty exciting episode. I got to say, we uh, longtime listeners of the show may remember we had a gentleman by the name of Glenn Mazzara on the show within our first, what, seven episodes? So in the first couple of months. And he joined us to talk about his Dark Tower series at Amazon. And he had shot the pilot and uh, they decided not to pick it up. And he kindly came on and talked about what he shot and what his entire plans for the the series were. Well, that wasn't his only Stephen King adaptation that unfortunately got kind of cut off at the knees. He also wrote a Shining prequel called Mm -hmm. The Overlook Hotel, which was to be directed by Mark Romanek. And... Uh, he hasn't really talked much about it, but uh, we asked him back on and we recorded a very long episode going into every nook and cranny of uh, his Overlook script. And uh, for Stephen King fans, it'll be another one of those like, you know, God damn it, why didn't this happen? 
things. Mm-hmm. You're, you're going to feel really sad by the end of this that you're not going to see this movie uh, because he knocked it out of the park. It's it's kind of a um, it, it's one of those those things where you would imagine a shining prequel could go wrong in every direction, and he somehow went right in every direction. Way and he walks to, us through basically the entire movie. You know, yeah. or we walk him through it and get his sort of notes as we're as we're right. going along. That, so that is true. The closest you're going to get to see this movie uh, might be listening to the show next week. It is it is a fucking rad episode. And Glenn is, as always, just a delightful guest. And he is wonderful, very open, very honest about the experience. Gives in, goes into great detail and the characters plot, you know, everything, uh, mm-hmm. everything you want to know about it. We will have it for you next week. Indeed. So get excited about that, folks. Get excited yeah. about some Stephen King news this Friday on the Patreon. And yeah, I think that's it. I think we're ready to call it, right? Yep, that'll do it. That'll that'll do, Scott. That'll do. Yes. <laughs> All right, see y'all next week. Adios, everyone. The KingCast is a Fangoria podcast production. The show is produced, hosted, and created by Eric Vespi, that's me, and Scott Wampler. Tira Ansley and Abby Goel are executive producers. Daniel Danger is our art director, and editing is done by yours truly. 